frozen most of the time until it gets really close to its sun, and then it gets like very magma, like very uh, geo that geo not that brain words not geographically active. That just means there are lots of maps geologically, Geotherm- geologically, Geo- <laughs> geothermically. Yes, that would also work. Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Undercover Network, Warhammer 40k Podcast. I'm your host, Rob. Devin. Dennis. And Richard. And we are all back together again for episode 179, and we are back to Codex Reviews. And this time we have a brand new one in hand because we are reviewing Codex Space Wolves. Yep. Still space. Oh, sorry. Codex Adeptus Astartes Space Wolves. Space puppies. Space 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 Vikings. Vikings, werewolves, puppies. I mean, bork, 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 bork. Yeah. But before we get into that, we, uh, you know, we had a lot of weeks of, oh, look, it's an age, it's Age of Sigmar, Soul Wars is coming out, all the Age of Sigmar releases, and there wasn't, wasn't a lot to talk about 40k wise. Well, that's been fixed. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> we have a, we have a metric ton of releases to talk about. And we also have a lot of listener mail because when you say something wrong about guard, guard players make sure to let you know. Yeah. So, um, uh, so I stand by everything I said. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll get to that. We have a lot of listener mail and we have a lot of news and new releases. So let's get right into it. Uh, so, and it's actually a good thing we, we pushed off recording a day or so because then we had Warhammer Open Day in, or Warhammer Open Weekend in uh, Europe, mm-hmm. uh, which came with more news and new releases. So let's see what all has been announced since the last time we talked. Well, Tooth and Claw would be a big one. Yeah. And that is a new box set, which, uh, if it's a, if, if it's got claw in the name, you know it's Space Wolves involved. It, was, it could be Pete Orcs. Well, what, look, which one was the last one? Was it Death Claw, Storm Claw? Death Claw? Uh, Death Storm, Claw there was, Storm? There Death. was, Death Storm was the Blood Angels Tyranids one. And right. Storm Claw that was Orcs and Space Wolves. Okay. So if there's claw in it, so Tooth and Claw. Of course, tooth. I mean, could also be orcs. Yeah, and that's claws, their money. claws could be orcs too. That's true. And and the people that in this case, space wolves are fighting have teeth and claws. Uh, we'll just have to rip them up and take them. Yep. Which would be Gene Stealer cult. So yep. we're getting a Gene Stealer cult uh, space wolf box with uh, a focus on Premier space wolves and uh, aberrant um, Gene Stealers. Yep. And oh my God, the new Gene Stealer abomination. Oh yeah! <laughs> oh, he is—he is beefy and monstrous and scary. Cause let's see, we'll bring up the stats on that bad boy. Cause they did release that to uh, to the Warhammer community page. Um, so yeah, the Abominate. So basically, there is now an aberration character or an aberrant character who has the power sledgehammer of doom. Uh, so double his strength, which he's strength six. So strength 12, AP minus three, D6 damage that never does less than three. Yay. Yeah. He's <laughs> going to destroy things. And the new, like the new aberrant models, like they're actually getting a multi-part kit now that 
give them a lot of op- just design options. So they they're going to look really good. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I I find it interesting the like the way they did those the the push fit ones that they had or they weren't push fit. They were but they were just kind of easy build mono pose. Right. But they weren't actually mono pose because like the front of them were like interchangeable. So between like the two different sets that they had, you could actually build four different ones. Uh-huh. You and just so had now, to swap like the torso fronts. And now you're going to have like a whole bunch of different options. Cause like yeah. we get the guy with the, the street sign, for example. Right. So no, I, I like it. And or I, the two faced guy, the, the two faced guy. Yeah. I now I'm curious if they're going to have, and I didn't see that they had like the new gunslinger, uh, cultist in the box i did not yeah i did not notice him which and we know he's coming so i'm just gonna hazard a guess since we have a space wolf codex now and this box set is gene Steeler cults space wolves with a new gene Steeler character at least that we're going to get a new gene Steeler codex soon and then possibly new, so yeah and then possibly a new new character release with that probably Somebody that's like maybe a step down from a Primus. Cause that's always been kind of the problem is like they have like the three main HQs that you always take and then like the Icon War. Well, or it's cause it's the, the Primus, the Magus and the Patriarch. Right. And then like an Icon War that you generally take because of course you would cause they're yeah. all about bubbles of buffs. Mm-hmm. So, and now you've got the Abominant. So they're actually, it sounds like they're going to have more HQ choices. So I'm guessing this guy's going to be. I, I I would imagine so. Yeah, like he'd be like a, like a metamorph mm-hmm. character. Seems like so anything that can you know that anything that can flesh out a faction more and give them a few more options is always good. Yep. And I'll say I was looking at the other side of the box is it's all Space Wolf Primaris, which is pretty awesome, and that I think goes hand in hand with the um, Kill Team box yes. is of oh, Space Wolves is also all Primaris, and none of them overlap. So get both of those, and you. Got a solid start to a primary Space Wolf army. Right, right. And, and, and again, they're rolling out more kill team starters as well. Uh, they just announced, uh, Drukari and Deathwatch with, uh, like Deathworld Force terrain. But yeah, the being able, you can really tell they're trying to push the Primera stuff with, you know, it, cause it, you know, it's, it pushes a new model line. It advances the story. Um, I mean, Primaris are going to be the new hot thing. Although, when we get into the Codex review, I'm still not quite sure how well Primaris fit in with the rest of the the Space Wolf mentality. But we'll we'll get to that when we when we get to the Codex. Let's see other things that have come. Uh, Adeptus Titanicus is out now. Uh, that which it's an extra game. It's got a it. And I know some people have already been thrown off by the fact, like, if they weren't aware of it, they're like, oh, wait, this isn't the same scale as 40K, and I can't use the models in 40K. <laughs> well, the, and for some people that, like, if they didn't know what this was, that kind of killed their interest, because they want to buy a box set that is something to expand an, 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 something to expand an existing army, and this is not that. This is a very different game with a very different rule set. I mean, it's... Well, very different. I mean, it's still got some of the basics. You've got like a wet, like weapon skill and ballistics will work very much the same way. Uh, but I really do think that it's, they're doing some very interesting things with it. The fact that your data sheet is also your like damage tracker for the game. Mm-hmm. Cause basically every data sheet is just, is this cardboard sheet 
with like that looks like a command console and there's little holes punched in it where you put tokens to like keep track of like here's where my here's the status of my reactor here's the status of my void shields here's the status of the individual systems and as they take damage you're moving these up as your servitors are repairing things you're moving them around you're having to actually kind of like monitor your power levels <laughs> cuz like you can push your reactor to to its limit to really get the most out of your titan but that means that things will start exploding it looks like it's a very good. I have not had a chance to play with. It. I've had a chance to re, to look through the rule book. The models look fantastic. The the yeah. tiny knights, which are roughly the size, maybe even a little bit smaller than like a terminator, look fan. They have almost as much detail as the full size knights. They look really really good. The titans themselves, at least the the warlord, because that's the only one they have out right now, looks really nice. The biggest issue for me, I think, is that because it is a completely new game with a different rule set and a different buy-in and because it's not compatible, it makes it hard. Like, I don't need more games right now. <laughs> I can, I'm barely keeping up with the ones I have. So I'm not as eager to jump in, but it does look neat. I heard that some events are actually like places that do, Titan marches, Titan battles, kind of the tit- Titanic equivalent of a night joust, mm-hmm. are going to like use the Titanicus rule set, but with all the ranges scaled up to the full size models. I like that. So that cool. that'll be cr- that'll be crazy fun. One thing I am really impressed with is the terrain that they've released. The I think it's the Civitas Imperialis set. Basically, it makes all these like box buildings, but. The boxes are like some of them are like one by one or two by one or like two by two, like square, like made out of cubes. And then the, you, but you build like one level at a time. And then the, like even after you, so you got your levels, like the individual pieces glued together. And then you don't have to glue the multiple levels on. They're all modular and they lock in really well and hold together, but then they're easy to reconfigure. So you can like with one set, you can do all sorts of different table layouts, which I, that is like, we've had the promise of modular terrain with like the sector mechanicus stuff. And this is the first time I think they've pulled it off. It's just a shame that it's for a much smaller scale and doesn't work at all for 40 K. They're about the size of like very small shipping containers, 40 K, 40 K scale. But, uh, but no, I mean, uh, it seems like it's it's a game that people have been asking for for a long time. And I know there's been a lot of hype for it ever since it was kind of first announced that Forge World was looking at doing it and doing it all in resin. Uh, so having it available in plastic is much better. So if you are looking for a giant robot game to sit as- beside your 40K habit, it's definitely one I would look at. Although it is very hard to buy now because the pre-order window closed like a week ago, and apparently most stores it's like you are getting your pre-order amount, and that's it. So if stores didn't pre-order product to keep on the shelves, you are not getting it. And in fact, from what I understand, like the GW, even GW stores were that same way. It's like we are getting stuff to pre-order, and that is it. And I'm wondering if that is because they don't have everything out for it yet. Uh, there, right now, you can there like in the rule set, there are rules and data sheets and everything for warlords, reavers, and warhound titans. But right now, and the knights in groups of three. But right now, the only things you can buy are the warlord and the knights. The reaver is shown off in the latest white dwarf, but there's no mention of when the kit is available. 
And at the open day in Europe or the, the Warhammer weekend in Europe, they just revealed like the Warhound. So these things are coming and they will be available. And I think it's going to be kind of like Necromunda where the base models are available in plastic. And then if you want the, the weapon options, you'll buy those in resin from Forge mm-hmm. World. Although from what I understand, the, like the Titan model is pre-built to be magnetized. Yes. So, so like they've got like recesses for magnets and tell you what sizes to use. So they absolutely intend you to buy like a Titan or two and just swap the weapons out. So uh, I'm glad that they're forward thinking in that regard. And they're, they're not going to force people to figure out how to kit bash the magnetization. They've worked it into the system already. So that's always good. Uh, let's see what else. Let's see. Uh, House Cawdor is available for Necromunda now, which, hey, if you were looking for a cultist kit, that's the one. <laughs> I mean, seriously, they look like they're like they'll make perfect bases for chaos cultists. I mean, they even look more ragged than ca- than the current like pushfit chaos cultists. So even though they're like hardcore Imperium supporters, it won't take much to to tweak those into some some nifty looking cultists, which it's still weird that we don't have a multi-part chaos cultist box. So who knows when we're going to be seeing that uh, kill team has, uh, they gave us more information about rogue trader, which is absolutely confirmed to be just an expansion for kill team. Right. With like a bunch of weird Nurgle mutants on one side and a rogue trader and their crew on the other. So uh, it's basically, it's, it's going to be weird. It's going to be kind of like a, uh, like a camp, like a very self-contained campaign box. It doesn't spill out into other 40k stuff. Although I can't imagine it'll be long before anything in there has for, uh, rules for using in 40k. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. I mentioned the new kill team stuff for Drakari and uh, Death Watch. Let's see. Oh yeah, orcs get a little something, something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, orcs get new war buggies. Or, well, they've changed the names of them, like the Custom Boosta Blasta and the Shock Jump Dragsta. Yeah. But, oh, the uh, the the new buggies look awesome. <laughs> they look pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and, which, and it sounds like it's going to be its own box game. So, hey, Gorkum Orca's back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. And the commercial that they rolled out for this was awesome. Yeah. Especially was, showing the old old buggy model yeah and, and then showing what 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 we want to do with it because it's so old <laughs> <laughs> well it's we've talked about like how to kit bash orc models is you build a model and you and then hit it with a well in this case hit it with a wrench yeah but just showing up the size of the wrench they dropped on that thing was awesome yeah <laughs> just watching it explode into bits and then but doing it like german cars car commercial style was yeah. great but that is coming in October or October, October, which yeah. tells me that, which is also why I think Gene Steeler Cults is coming in September, right? Because Orc Codex will be in October, right? So uh, only a couple more months to wait, Orc players, and uh, you will be rewarded with some sweet new models. Uh, we're also getting the Space Marine Heroes line, which was previously only available in Japan. That is finally coming to the rest of the world. That's cool. So nice. you, you too can buy blind box Space Marines and hope you get the ones you don't have yet. <laughs> but apparently, like it's like people have been wanting to figure out how to like how do I import this out of Japan? How do I get a hold of these? Because they look good. They're on their like second set of them. Like the the first set was done in blue plastic. The second set's all in red plastic. Right. So, you know, they're obviously intended to be, like, 
Ultramarines and then Blood Angels, but they don't actually have like sculpted iconography, so you can use them whatever or use them as whatever. Although they are all old school Space Marines, not Primaris, which I think is interesting. Didn't the second set have some Terminators in it? Yes, the second set yeah. has at least a at least one Terminator. Yeah, yeah. I know that the store out in Overland Park tabletop, yeah, had some. Oh, they actually did get some in at one yeah, point. I bet those disappeared in, fast. Yeah. Well, and actually, they what they did with them is they just opened them up and labeled what they were. Oh, okay. Well, nice. Fair enough. Before before people bought them, so. Well, that's that gets rid of half the fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, these people have never bought Gachapon from Japan, and I imagine a good number of you listeners are like, "My God, Rob, you're a huge weeaboo." <laughs> like, yep, yep, I am. I'm, yeah, no shame there. Uh, uh, be, uh, being to having been to Japan, I, I remember the, like the the bubble gum machines uh-huh. that just have. Whole crap ton of them in, in in little little plastic bubbles. Yep. Let's see. Oh, and yeah, a little bit of stuff about sisters. L- just a little. Just, just a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Well, I mean, actually, it is not a ton, but showing off the the the, the CAD design for all the, yeah. for a lot of the new weapons. The like the new heavy bolter looks really sweet with like Fleur de Lee on like every little like bolt, <laughs> like on the bolt <laughs> belt. The I mean, like the new flamers look really nice. They're, they look they don't look like standard flamers. The like the nozzles are a little bit different. They're kind. They almost look like the uh, horse hair Sierra flamers. Yeah. The saddest part is none of my metal ones will have weapons that look that good. Just cut all the hands off and replace them with new weapons. N- no, they don't. The, they don't work that way. <laughs> they're molded to the bodies. <laughs> um. It, it, they don't mention it anywhere here, but I'm, I'm also already starting to get a little bit concerned. Like, oh god, what if they put them on 32 mil bases? Because I don't want to rebase my entire sister's <laughs> army. I'd say that's a possibility. However, yeah, Eldar, which are also three toughness guard, which are three toughness, have stayed on the smaller bases. That's true, but sisters are also in power armor, so that might. They're still three toughness. They are still three toughness for now. We okay. don't know well, what's going Well, if they become tougher, then yeah, thirty-two. But no, I think they should. I think they should. St- I think there's there's a space in the game for a three toughness power armor. Yeah, man. no, I totally agree with that. Uh, let's see. Oh, and more horse heresy. The last horse heresy novel has been announced. Finally. <laughs> uh, now, granted, apparently. Then they're starting a new series for the Siege of Terra. So who knows how many years that will go on. But <laughs> so I can't say spoilers. The, the Emperor gets stabbed. Uh, spoilers. That the is Emperor, a spoiler. That, that is a spoiler. It has not been revealed yet. <laughs> Oops. Sorry. Also I'll, in Titanic, the boat sank. Yes. What? Yeah. Well, who's telling the story then? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they did show off some Blood Angel stuff for... Uh, for Horse Heresy, including they're getting a Blood Angel specific Leviathan Dreadnought, which looks sweet. And if I, whenever I get my Blood Angels off the ground, um, I might have to look at picking one of those up because it looks awesome. And Leviathan Dreadnoughts are scary. Yeah, they're super good. Yeah. Anyway, and out, okay, so moving off from GW official news, then there was also some big news, and this actually ties into stuff we talked about last episode, about the ITC missions. Uh, they, like, oh, they announced <laughs> that missions were changing a week, like, the week after uh, we recorded, which has nothing to do with us. Just want to be clear on that. These, this, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to even go there and cl- try to claim credit. But uh, they actually addressed most of the issues we had. 
Yeah, they um, really, really did. Yeah, because and it's it, it's issues that other people obviously had. This was all based on player feedback and like what missions do you like, what missions do you not like, what are the issues you have, and as we mentioned, a lot of the the issues with the ITC missions. Uh, were more with the secondaries and how they warped how you built armies because you had to, if you wanted to avoid giving away points, uh, you had to build your army so that it didn't fall under any of those restrictions, which is where you end up with weird things like 19 model units because 20 gives away too many points or uh, I'm only packing three big things because I don't want to give too many give away too many big game hunter. Or I can build stuff where... I fall under the big game hunter, like, wound limit, and so it's now not worth any points for that. Uh, they also made sure to address points not stacking. So that, like, because right now, like, what, what they had before that's like, you could, uh, kill somebody, like, kill a character, and oh, I've got a point for headhunter and a bunch of points for kingslayer, if, especially if they're a warlord. So they have clearly marked these Several strat or these secondaries do not stack, and they've even said like once you get points for one of these from model, it can't ever give up points for anything else. They like for uh, Titan Slayer, like once you start putting p- wounds, like once you get ten wounds on a knight, and you say okay, that's going to give me a point for Titan Slayer. It can't give you a point for anything else. Can't count for Big Game Hunter. Can't count for um, King Slayer if it was the Warlord. Can't count for some of the other new ones. So let's give a quick rundown. Uh, Headhunter is still a point for killing characters. Kingslayer still works pretty much the same. Although this one's interesting. They added a, added a note about Celestine. The more point, like her wounds put on the Gemini count. Basically she counts as one unit. So if she keeps bringing her Gemini back, you're just generating more wounds for people to earn points with. Hmm. Cause it's every two wounds of damage causes a point. Well, Gemini's just happen to have two wounds. So, if you bring them back each back twice, or e- actually, if you bring each of them back once, that's your four points for Kingslayer. So, sucks to be a sisters player. Mark for death. They totally stole one from uh, Renegade Open, which I'm good with. Uh, so this one is basically choose four of your opponent's units with a power level of seven or higher. You earn a point for each of those units destroyed. So it's assassination. But you have to pick bigger units you can't pick like the cheapy 3pl or 4pl character that they're stuffing in the back let's see big game hunter is now enemy units with monster or vehicle and seven or more wounds so now those carnifexes that you've been using because they're only nine wounds and didn't count for big game hunter count for big game hunter (laughs) (laughs) let's see titan slayers okay that one's yeah every eight wounds so but yeah it does not stack with anything else Reaper is now one for every 20 enemy models destroyed, you earn a point. So it doesn't matter that they're within a unit or not. You kill two 10 man squads. That's a point. You, which means Dennis can now take his demonettes in units of 20 or more without giving up more points than he would otherwise. I'm just going to take him with squads of 30. Just to make sure you've got the extra buffer. Yeah. Cause <laughs> that extra attack at 20 or more is really nice. It is very nice. Let's see. Recon is pretty much unchanged. Behind enemy lines changed. You, so now it's not just being within 12 inches of the table edge, because that was weird in some cases where the deployment wasn't clear on which long table edge you were on. Uh, it's now you have to have a unit in each table, or sorry, one of your units has to be wholly within the enemy deployment zone, and this one is different at the start of your turn. So your opponent has a chance to push you out, which 
I like seeing missions where your opponent had you know has a chance to do something about it. Death from a Thousand Cuts is gone and is now replaced with Butcher's Bill, which is now just to destroy two or more enemy units instead of three or more. That is so much better, even it, though I did pull yes. off Death by a Thousand Cuts in the last tournament. Yeah, but it also means more armies are open to it, yeah. because some armies don't have 12 units to give up all the points. Ground Control is a new one, and that is just earn a point for each objective held at the last end of the last battle round played, which is also why it's important that there was one mission in the game that, or in, in the ITC pack that only had two objectives. It now has five objectives, so that is actually achievable in every mission now. Old School is un, unchanged, and it was apparently Old School was one of the most popular uh, secondaries. So people love it and it actually works really well and you can use it against anybody. So it's always a good pick. And, uh, that's it. If, uh, Gangbusters is gone, that one was weird and there were so many units that weren't, uh, it, like, it didn't apply to or didn't apply to very well because it was like, what, for every so many models with three wounds or every so many models in a unit with four to five wounds, you, you mm-hmm. earned points for killing them. But like, like you had to pick the units ahead of time, but a lot of like, oh, are you run a, I'm running a uh, three, po- like a three model custodes guard unit. Uh, well, if that gives up a point, or was it like units of wraith guard only gave up like two points if you kill, or is what for every three po- three yeah, models? I think it's for every three. Yeah, model. so it's like a five a five model would give up one point. yeah would give up one point. It's like, but you only picked one model or one, one unit. unit. Yeah, it was really bad and weird, and so it's just gone. I think that's the one that got replaced with ground control. So, from the sound of these, like you're, there's no army that like every game you go into, you're going to have at least three three decent choices to take because like, marked for death will probably be applicable, or you know, ground control and old school will always be applicable. Recon's always applicable. So, if if nothing else, there's like. Th- there's like some defaults that you can just kind of drop in like no matter what I have the I have the possibility to pull points. So mm-hmm. it, this is a much better set. And I'm glad that uh, Frontline and the ITC have been working and collecting feedback and figuring out how how are these how can we make these missions better and it also helps to make list building more interesting because we're not and we're not going to end up with these weird mutant lists that tr- actively try to give away these points because it's going to be very hard at this point to have a list that can't be scored full points against in some way, you know, some some way or fashion. So, uh, no, I'm I'm happy with this set. I also like the fact that they redid the scoring sheets so they're not gray backgrounds, they're white backgrounds, so we won't kill people's printers to print them. <laughs> and I have to say, I, I am really, I, I do really like the ITC missions now that I've had a, a really good chance to play them. Um, and I... I, but I also still like the Renegade missions, and I think it's two very different paths of going about trying to do the similar things. And I think they both succeed in different ways. And so it's good It's good to have both around. And I even, what, Iron Halo is running both. They're doing, like, one day of Renegade missions and one day of ITC champs. So having these multiple formats available is good because it gives us a lot of options as, like, for competitive players, it's a lot of options and things you have to think about. But now I feel like the army that you build for Renegade missions, you can also use an ITC and vice versa without any real, like, penalty. Like, um, an army I would build for Renegade missions, I can now use an ITC missions and not feel like I'm giving up more points than I would otherwise because 
those weak that that weakness in the system has been addressed. Huh. Is there anything else that's been announced? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no, I think I think that might might actually be it. And of course, we are still waiting for the big September FAQ, which I imagine will be after Nova Open, which is in like two weeks. As yeah, because it's the first weekend of September, so that is two weeks as of recording date. Um, so I imagine we'll have Nova Open. I don't expect we're going to see the kind of delay afterwards that we had from Adepticon because I think my my gut feeling is that with the first FAQ, the game is playing much closer to what Games Workshop intended. Yeah. Um, I do think that they'll, pro- I mean, will we see the beta rules finalized? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, so whether the, the deep strike changes will stay in or, and, or be clarified, whether the battle brothers changes will stay in or be clarified, that remains to be seen. But, um, I, but I, I feel like, I feel like game, like army construction is a lot more varied now. I think games are more interesting because they're not generally done on turn one or, you know, not, you know, the action of turn one does not necessarily decide the game. Although I will still say turn one, even without the deep striking stuff, a bad turn one or whoever goes first definitely can have the momentum going into yeah, the game. Top so that, of one is still a big advantage. It, it absolutely is, but it's not necessarily the auto win that it was, that it could have been had they not applied some of these changes for some armies. Uh, so, uh, we'll see what happens in a couple of weeks. I imagine big FAQ will probably be mid September. Like that, I'm, I'm, and I have no advanced knowledge or anything. I'm just spitballing here. I, but I imagine like September 15th, mid, mid to mid September, probably coinciding with a release of like Gene Steeler Colts, which means they'll probably have to then release Errata because like, hey, Gene Steeler Colts was already in print when we did the FAQ. Right. Because <laughs> so, we've seen that happen before. So, uh, no, I'm, I, but I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing what they do. And then, of course, we've got eventually chapter approved coming in December, which will have more changes still, uh, including beta rules for sisters, which I'm eagerly awaiting. But I'm, I'm really liking the kind of more living ecosystem that we're seeing for 40k, where it's a game that is not in stasis the way it was in older editions, where like new codex comes in, dominates everything for six months people figure out how to adjust to it and then we wait another six months for a new codex to come out and rules issues are not addressed until a new edition comes out this is this is much much better and i think that is reflected in gw's financial news yes (laughs) did you want to address that at all kevin as you are our accountant i mean uh, i don't have the details right in front of me but uh i mean they had essentially I think double or triple like the revenue from year over year, um, which makes sense. New edition. Uh, I think the new edition of Sigmar was at the very tail end of the final, of the fiscal year. Um, but no, basically it's, they're doing really well. They, they paid like a big employee bonus out. Um, and it looks as if they're, they're going to continue, uh, you know, being successful and being, being financially solvent. So, uh, I think that goes to show that, like, if they put out a, if they if they put out a good product and they listen to their 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 uh, their customers, that they're going to get rewarded by it. So I think GW is back officially as being the being the top dog again, which is uh, which is good. 
Yeah, and it's it's an interesting uh, contrast. Uh, and I've actually talked to a couple of uh, retailers about it, and um, yeah, their experience. Like, okay, so there's one one game store here in uh, Kansas City, Level One, which uh, is up in uh, the city market area, and they were originally in a very small space, and they just expanded in like in March. They expanded into a much larger space, and now they have space for tables, which they've started doing Warhammer, you know, like 40k events and kill team events. And I was talking with the guy that runs it, and he's like, "Yeah, when I when we first looked at expanding and supporting Games Workshop stuff, everyone told me, oh yeah, Games Workshop, oh they're you know dealing with the retailer support is a nightmare, and they're going to have to have you carry their entire line of stuff, and it's going to be like twenty thousand dollars, and you're just not going to be able to." to you know it'll it'll put you it'll make you broke trying to support them and he's like my experience has been the exact opposite like they're like yeah as long as you just can carry like we've got this small display of like core stuff that you that we really want you to carry and then beyond that just order what you want and special order other stuff and his experience with them has been very positive so they've really like even at the retailer side they've they've really stepped up their game and they're, they're listening to people and doing things differently. And it's an interesting contrast to the situation we have with like fantasy flight games right now, which mm-hmm. is in the middle of this really weird lull because they announced the new version of X wing back in like late April, early May. And we're still waiting. I guess some of the stuff was released at Gen Con. Yeah. But, uh, it's not out till next month, so there's been this like four month lull where nobody wants to do anything. Like most competitive events are either waiting for the like they're waiting for the 2.0 stuff, and because it's so incompatible, like people are like having Viking burials for their old <laughs> their old. Con- wow. <laughs> well, it's like even the tokens have been redone, so like all the, yeah. the like the shield tokens and everything now expect you to turn them over to the other side to show that they've been used rather than just discarded. Um, everything's based on like regenerating, like re, you know, flipping it back and all the, all the upgrade <sighs> cards have been redone. The ship, ship cards have all been redone. So it's like all your old stuff is completely incompatible. I mean, it looks similar enough to throw you off, but it's effectively incompatible. KGW, so. don't do that. Don't do that. I, I, I mean, eighth edition was a big change and basically rendered everybody's codexes incompatible. But the models yeah. themselves were, and, and you know, Fantasy Flight. I will say they're kind of doing what GW did with indexes, and in that there's basically like for a faction, you buy a fifty dollar kit, and it gives you everything you need to convert that entire faction. Okay, over. At least that part's nice. Yeah, I mean, you still have to buy the new core set because like the damage deck changed and stuff, and again, you'll need the new tokens and things like that. But, um, but the problem is they announced it so far in advance, and then just have they've been drip feeding information. And and actually, most of the stuff now has been revealed through like unboxing videos, and people got advanced copies to to promote. So everybody knows all the stuff that's out there, but you can't actually get your hands on it, and it's put the game in a very weird space. So everyone's just kind of chomping at the bit. Also, people have already found a uh, a critical flaw in the game with like one card, but we're not going to get into that because <laughs> that's Star Wars and not not 40k, but. Yeah, I think it, I think GW, if they are not number one, cause Fantasy Flight kind of stole that, that stole their lunch with X-Wing, but they are now a solid contender back for top spot again. Absolutely. Which is good to see. And that's, and the thing is that will push Fantasy Flight to compete and step up their game. And that, then that will push GW to keep doing the same. 
So that, you know, it's one of the few cases where, you know, you see capitalism actually work out and, uh, you know, competition makes things better for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. So um, from there, (laughs) that's a lot. Uh, Let's move on to listener mail. As always, these letters are written by you, the listeners. And if you have a letter you would like us to read on the air, we'll tell you how at the end of the segment. I am going to preface this by saying, unfortunately, uh, we do not have a list review on this. It's not that we don't have them in the queue, and we may actually have to do a list review episode soon because we've had a, several, a, you know, a few new ones come in. But we had seven pages of listener mail. So... Uh, normally we have like four or five. So, uh, we're going to skip the list review and just answer, ma- answer mail. He's saying this is going to be long. It's, it's going to be long. Although I think we'll cut a couple of these cover the same ground. So, you know, we may be able to con- consolidate our answers a little bit, but I uh, will just go ahead and kick it off. Uh, so first one is from Will Bellows and Will writes, Hey guys, Will in Northern Virginia here, long time listener, but I've decided to start writing in more frequently since you frequently mention your appreciation of listener mail. Well, we do appreciate it. It makes one of the segments of the show and, and we like talking to listeners. So this is, this is good. Uh, I just listened to your State of the Game episode, appreciated the meta-commentary. It's always interesting to hear the contrast between the major circuit and the little world six of my friends have created in our hobby closet. Which, that is a very different thing. Local playgroups and the larger competitive meta are two very different things. And that's exactly how we started. We started with a bunch of us here locally playing in my basement with, like, there was about, what, six to eight of us. And Uh we had our own little met of the little group of us and then you get out into the wide world. oh it was a shock yeah. oh especially i remember the, <laughs> the first renegade we went to and we're like holy crap everyone plays very differently well i also remember the first time we played at tabletop in the tournament oh yeah i mean it, it is it is a shock <laughs> when you get out into a larger world so yeah it's it is really it, it's fun to talk about and and to to experience anyway continuing i'm sure you've already had a few emails about this oh boy did we <laughs> <laughs> but in your discussions around guard, uh, command point, recycling, and farming, I noticed you were describing Kurov's Aquila as more powerful than it really is. In-game, you gain one command point on a 5-up each time your opponent uses any stratagem, not refunding each command point on a 5-up any time a stratagem is used. Maximizing refunds requires spending your warlord trade on grand strategist, which lets you reroll one command point spent, but only when you use it as a stratagem. Which I want to add in, they eroded that in the last set of errata to to specify that Grand Strategist is only when you spend command points. As it's written in the codex, it's when command points are spent on stratagems. <laughs> so they definitely yeah. toned it down. They definitely toned it down. Uh, so continuing. In the guard example, either the Aquila Relic or the Grand Strategist trait are powerful on their own, but when you combine them, suddenly I recycle command points on a 5 when I spend them and get a freebie on a 5 every time my opponent spends a stratagem, which then can also be recycled on a 5 when I use it. Talk about a feedback loop. The simplest solution would be limiting each army to a single CP recycling ability or relic, just as GW introduced the rule of three to cap the different flavor of spam. This would immediately prevent guard players from recycling command points in both their turn and their opponents and force players to choose between recycling via warlord trait or relic slot. It may be something of a kludge, but as you guys mentioned, we're already basically playing 8.5, and as some of the best video game studios push frequent balance-related hotfixes, I think like I feel like forcing players to choose between two good options is better than nerfing them down, but still letting people take both. What's your take? 40k has always been about player choice, and I'd like to see any balance shift still emphasize that ethos. On an unrelated note, do you really feel there's a need for radio-style commentary on competitive 40k matches? I see a lot of potential to have fun, but is there an audience? How would one go about pursuing this? Should I be contacting tournament organizers or just buying a badge and streaming? Thanks. Fight the good fight, Will in Northern Virginia. 
Um, I do like the idea of limiting the number of options for command point cycling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and I mentioned it in in the episode a few episodes back is like we could use a few more like generic like warlord traits or stratagems mm-hmm. that everyone has access to and maybe having something that does that that everyone has access to would be a nice idea too well and for me i I like the idea of picking one thing if you have multiple options because what we've addressed many times in the past a warlord trait if it has the recycle choose it and and we said there might be five other warlord traits they might be good but command point recycling is always better right and then that that's a frustration i have with like warlord traits in general so at least if you made it an option to give people more ways to get the options out there, like maybe have other groups that have a relic that allows something similar. So then you can maybe have still get the um, command point recycling and still be able to take a different fun warlord trait. Yeah. And, and one of my issues with the whole thing is that some armies are just like, as you mentioned in the episode last at last episode, Kevin is like, like armies have, have very different ways of doing it. And some are just noticeably better than others. And this is, the guard, you know, the the one two option here, which still costs you zero points, is yeah. still the best. You know, it's one of the best ones, right up there with the uh, Cabal of the Black Heart. They they also have a fantastic one, although theirs is only on a six. So this is still better because it's like a third of the time you're getting command points back. And having played against players who are using the, like they're taking guard command point batteries and. Like they're basically getting free rerolls. Like any time, like oh, I'm going to spend. It, I'll, I'll reroll something. Okay, I'll steal your command point, and then oh, I'm going to reroll something. I'll get my command point back. Yeah, yeah. So they're just immediately better than uh, they're they're immediately better than the other than the other options. And I would either like to see those toned down. Personally, I wouldn't mind if command point recycling went away. Yeah, I, yeah. I like the Tyranids have one thing. And it's if one of two specific types of models kill a character, then maybe I'll get a, like, Gene Stealers or Lictors. Yeah. If they kill a character, maybe I'll get a command point back. And I have to spend, <laughs> it's a stratagem, so I have to spend command points to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's of limited use. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it... it the way it's set up is like I'll always at least break even on the command points that I spent and the command points that I get back. Right. So, but still. But but yeah. you could spend them and get no extra command points and then I could spend something or not even spend something and get command points back too. Yes. Because well, I'm using a stratagem. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. Since yours is a stratagem, you only get one bite of that apple. If you're using the equivalent and the warlord trait, you get at five up. Anytime someone spins something, and and I guess you know, obviously I'm the one who made the mistake about saying you know about addressing the Aquila, um, and the reason I made that mistake is because uh, I am sure there is someone out there that runs the Aquila and a different Warlord trait. I would like to meet you because I haven't seen anybody that does that yet, <laughs> because it's it's too good. Like it is super obvious that no, this is the relic you take, this is the Warlord t- trait you take, this is the net effect. So it's and, and it costs you zero yeah, points. <laughs> it costs you zero points, and you can do that anytime a command point is spent. So it's uh, again, it's the, it's the inequity and balance that that I don't like. 
And to your point, Rob, about command point cycling maybe just going away, I would like to see that because it slows the game down. You know, if there's more command points out there, there's more stratagems being spent, there's more time spent on when I should play a stratagem. I like the strategy that it brings to the game, but it slows the game down so much. Like, that's the reason why we could get through a 2,000-point game in Index 40K in two and a half hours and complete every game pretty much, you know, across the board. But now we're, we're spending three hours and barely completing half those games. It's, it's because of command points. And that's something that I think needs to be addressed. Yeah, and I, I also think that because with, with recycling is one of the reasons why, for example, at, uh, Agents of Vect is so powerful a stratagem because your – okay, so your opponent is spending command points on a stratagem. Okay, so now my Blackheart Cabal Warlord trait kicks in. I'm going to refund – I'm going to get some of those, and then I'm going to spend Agents of Vect. Okay, now I'm going to get a chance to get all three of those back, and – I might generate more later on in the game as you spend more stratagems. Oh, look, I have three points back again. I could Agents of Vect again. Yeah. And I've, I've played against, you know, Drukari players where that's a thing that happens. Uh, so if that was to a case where, okay, yeah, you have, you have this three command point stratagem that is super powerful because it can shut down any other stratagem on anything other than a one. Great. However, there's a very good chance and that's the you get one shot with it unless you build your army to have a ton of command points and all you're doing is trying to counter you're not using any points for rerolls you're not using any points for any other stratagems making stratagems a difficult decision that you have to make is is really where i think it needs to be and it's not because there are some armies that can just maximize that and some armies that can't and you really feel the difference yep but yeah, it, it, a, a medium of saying you can do one or the other, and like maybe it's an, it, it could be as simple as Narada saying like if you take Grand Strategist, you like Grand Strategist and Kurov's Aquila can't stack, or you know so, something that says that you can't you can use one of these effects or the other. Mm-hmm. I still think Grand Strategist is too powerful as it is. I'd like to see if nothing else, maybe all the command point recyclers are just. Reset to when you spend a stratagem, roll a d6 on a6, you get a command point back. If all of them were like that across the board, they would still be good choices, but some of them would not be so obviously blindingly good that they're auto-takes. And you also need to address the cases like Death Guard and Tyranids where you are paying, where some armies are getting this stuff free and you are paying points for a very limited version of it. Yeah, because that that's not good for those armies either. Either that, or you have to give those armies other options where it's just like, oh yeah, I could recycle command points, but this is so much better for them. And I'm I'm not I'm not a game designer. I'm not sure what that point is, but yeah. And so maybe that's something that it, I, I'm hoping that's something that gets addressed in the the big FAQ because I think. Again, like we said last episode, the five command point for battalions was good, but I think it had unintended side effects, and that's one of them. And then as far as your unrelated note about uh, 40k radio-style commentary on on matches, I think there's absolutely room for that, considering the fact that Games Workshop does it themselves. Yeah. Yes. And and I do know, um, I watched some of the Frontline Gaming when they had a tournament on, and it was... was Bay Area Open. Bay Area Open, yeah. The, the, The players there actually... You could hear them talking, and that was nice to see players talking, but it would have been more fun 
to actually have someone there commentating or a pair of people commentating because I guess we've gotten so used to sports here that um, commentators are just a thing. I mean, I watch a lot of esports and in esports you have Mm -hmm. a lot of commentators and truthfully some of the esports I watch specifically for the commentators because they make the game more enjoyable with one their commentary or two they're just fun to listen to. Or I mean, or we're like you have a you bring in some other VIP player who is like very experienced but isn't playing at this particular event, and maybe I mean you could even bring them in via like they're watching it on Twitch or something. You bring them in via Skype or some other chat, and I mean the thing you'd have to do with it is they could not be close to no, the they, table. No, they have to sit. They have to kind of watch far remote. away. Yeah, yeah. So because that way they're not accidentally giving advice. Right, because that that's a big no no. You can't give advice at the table, so they'd have to be. Somewhere else, so they can give the player or the the viewers commentary, but not the players. Well, and I know for our own for Midwest, which we couldn't do because of the uh, Wi-Fi, the Wi-Fi, <laughs> the Wi-Fi situation. Which I've actually talked to the people at Conquest and like, well, may, maybe have somebody provi- provide their own internet or bring in a mobile hotspot. And I'm like, I don't know if that would provide enough bandwidth. <laughs> yeah, but uh, <laughs> but we had a couple of clubs. Uh, contact us and be like, we'd like to stream games from there. Is that possible? And we're like, we would love to do it. We just don't have the, the internet infrastructure available to do it. Um, which that's why I would say talk to tournament organizers because you don't realize how much is involved in streaming. It's not just about having mm-hmm. a decent internet connection. That is, that is actually, I mean, it's critical, but. It, to do decent video game streaming requires a camera rig set up around the table, multiple cameras, being able to capture like top down, being able to capture where the dice are. You're going to want dice that like that table should use custom, very easy to read dice from yep. like casino style dice, like big, bright red with white pip type dice. I mean, you're not just sitting there recording the game with your iPhone and talking about it. You, you'll need a you'll have to have a laptop set aside hooked up to that to monitor all the cameras. Some of the the better ones, like Jason Horn, our friend who runs the Iron Halo, uh, when he went to Flying Monkey, and of course I think his laptop burnt out at that moment. Yeah. <laughs> but like he had like cameras that he could aim remotely so he could like be sitting back and then like pivot the camera around and you know hit particular spots on the table. Uh, you can get really involved in streaming. So don't just sh- buy a badge and show up and expect to be able to stream. This is something you talk to the tournament organizers on because you're going to be able to stream from like a table. Yeah. And and that way that makes also that table there. That's going to want the, the tournament organizers are going to want to highlight their best table with their best terrain and really make a, a presentation of it because that's part of the part of this too is the spectacle. They're going to want put, want to put people with better painted armies on there, at least day one. Day two, they may want to put the people who are winning and put, have that be the top table, which then you're, you're at the, you're at the whims of whatever they were feeling like painting at the time. But, uh, I mean, if anyone remembers some of the coverage from LVO, some of those armies were (laughs) not not good, (laughs) but, but that's also, but there's also a lot of top players who are, who do have very nicely painted stuff. So you're not necessarily, you know that could go either way but yeah this is not just something you throw together ad hoc you want to come with a plan to this and you want to talk to the tournament organizers about doing it and make sure that the infrastructure is in place to even be able to do it but there's definitely an audience for it 
There are people that want to watch this because maybe they want to see what's going on in a different meta. Maybe they want to watch what's going on. Maybe not so much at like small individual stores, but at medium-sized or larger events. They may want to see what kind of armies people are bringing, what's going on, how are things being played, whether it's a case of they weren't able to make it or maybe they don't get to play as much as they'd want to. Or sometimes they just enjoy watching the game. I mean, hell, the uh, like the LVO thing, a lot of that came about because one of the guys watching the games was one of the guys that's the head of Riot Games, who, <laughs> you know, League of Legends, you know, they're, da- they're used to streaming. So, uh, you know, but he enjoys 40K and wanted to watch what was going on at the biggest of one of the biggest events in the world. So, and I mean, I will say I've been watching Twitch a lot more than I have regular TV recently. And so if they're, instead of like seeing what's on on the channels in on like, number channels on the you dial i go to twitch and just see what games are playing and what people are playing so even if the the market directly for us for 40k isn't out there people just surfing around if they see something that looks interesting they might stop and watch too right um so i'd say if, but the very actually the very first thing i'd say if you're going to get started if you're interested if you're interested in doing this go check out uh gw's twitch site You'll follow their Twitch stream, although they are on UK hours, so some of their streams are like early in the morning for us, for you know, for here in the US. But uh, watch them, watch Frontline's Twitch stream because they stream games all the time. Bella Lost Souls streams games on a regular basis. So there's three right off the bat. You can watch them, see what they're doing, see how they, you won't be able to see their camera rig necessarily, but see how they've got, like, where are they focusing, what kind of commentary they're doing, and then see if that's something you want to do. All right, moving on. Uh, next letter is from Paul Chapman. Paul writes, Hi, guys. Still loving the show and grateful for your work. Uh, just as I got the hang of my opponent's Blood Angels list, he moved on to Nids and seems near unbeatable with my Dark Angels when we play Maelstrom. Anyway, thanks to a severe case of hobby disease, while painting my Dark Angels over the past three years, I have bought the following armies which remain in boxes. Mechanicus with the Rise of Decal set. Harlequins, Death Watch, and Custodes. Which one do you think I should build next to compete with his Tyranids, and what list would be a good start? Many, many thanks. A Patreon patron, Paul Chapman. Right off the bat, I'd vote Harlequins, but that's just personal preference. I think the best... <laughs> I mean, I mean, I play Harlequins, Death Watch, and, and Custodes. I, I don't know which one would, would tackle Tyranids well. I, okay, I would I, not go Mechanicus. That's oh, probably no. the weakest of those choices. Yeah, I, I would actually almost probably leading towards death watch yeah i think so because especially if you know what you're fighting with death watch uh you can really tailor the army to take care of your opponent yeah Um, they do have all the tools to do that i mean custodes is also not a bad choice it depends on what you've got available as custodes though and uh custodes is like even more so than death watch it's kind of a you know, it's it's a very powerful lead army, but you will feel every loss very like every unit, every model you lose, you will f- suddenly you start losing capability really and, fast. It yeah. also depends on what type of tyranids are are being played. Is it horde yeah, tyranids or yeah, elite tyranids or monstrous tyranids? Right, because each one of those you kind of have to tackle differently. Even different too. Di- different mm-hmm. hive fleets are going to play very differently. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I can, we can't really suggest what list you have to to put together with any of those until we, we know what you're facing. We, in could, we could say the highs and lows of each group, though, because Harlequins, the highs are you, you'll have psychic defense. Um, you'll be fast across the board. The, the concern would be, will you do enough damage to take out the Tyranids if they're hor- creature, monstrous creatures? You probably wouldn't have as many problems with, but if there's a horde. Yeah. 
that that's what I'd be concerned with. Yeah. yeah. And and I would say that's also true for custodes. You can get over over you can get outnumbered very quickly with custodes and weight of numbers will still wear you down. Right. The the very benefit much. with custodes with that though is everyone there is objective secured cuz he's saying with Maelstrom. True. And so yeah. that's a benefit they have, but the biggest thing I've I've run into with custodes is if one character if you have a bad day of rolling, your army's having a bad day because Every <laughs> loss is felt so much. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, I lost like two or three Harlequins. No, you lose two, th- two or three custodes, and that unit is useless now. <laughs> not useless, yeah, but they're they're, but they're definitely that, weakened. Yeah, that is so weird. That is so not my experience playing custodes. I mean, I would say, actually, it if the Tyranid army that you're facing against is Horde, I almost would recommend Mechanicus because that's the one that you can. Like that's true. You have can, the weight of numbers. That's to true. You fight can match that more numbers. Fair enough. Yeah, you can match them number for number. Um, and depending on what you've got, again, you'll have tools to deal with pretty much any, anything. Do they have flyerants? You're running onagers with Icarus arrays. Um, are they? You know, are they uh, running lots of little griblies? Uh, your rangers and your vanguard are going to put out lots yeah. of firepower. Uh, Electro priests are nasty in close combat. Um, You've got access. I mean, even look at bringing a knight to the table. Yeah, to to go mm-hmm. along with it. Um. So yeah, Mechanicus. Yeah, if if they're horde, Mechanicus is definitely not a bad choice. If they're if they're Nidzilla, like if, you know they're playing big monstrous creatures, Death Watch or Custodes, because yeah. that's a case where Custodes will actually like if you know on a. If you're both running small numbers of models, I'll put my money on custodes any yeah. day. You've got oh, the yeah. in, you've got the invuln saves to to keep you alive, and you've got multiple wounds, and you will tear up single targets in combat. Yeah, the only concern I'd have if it was Nidzilla is if they've got the psychic stuff because custodes aren't great at psychic defense. No, the only thing they've got is their six up feel against, no pain against right. mortal wounds from psychic powers. And and the other thing is, other than well, Death Watch has access to librarians. They do, and Harlequins have access to a Shadow Seer, or they have well, shadow the seers. Shadow Seers. Well, the Shadow Seer is awesome. It is awesome, <laughs> but so so are you know Death Watch librarians. Yeah, because the librarian's discipline is is really good. Yes, it is. Um, but otherwise, yeah, like if your opponent's running lots of psychic powers, Mechanicus and Custodes will leave you wide open to that. You really don't yeah. have anything to answer that. Mm-hmm. Um, is really is going to come down to what your opponent's playing. Uh, but of all four of those, yeah, the the generalist pick that is most likely to be good is probably Death Watch. Yeah. I, I, I will agree with that. As, as much as we said Death Watch isn't competitive, Death Watch is a lot of fun to play, and it does its well, own. Well, and it's not competitive in, like, the current competitive right. format. Man. In a Maelstrom game, in Maelstrom games where you yeah. know your opponent's playing, like, Nids, Death Watch can definitely, you can address those issues. And again, they've got access to tools that can deal with pretty much any of the anything the nids are likely to throw. Plus, you True. even have stratagems to target synapse care. Yes, you do. Yeah. <laughs> so you you can you can pick those out quickly and yeah. and try to work there. Um, and as we talked about, intercessor squads, inter, in, like the Fortis skill team type builds, yeah. are really good. And that having that second wound helps. And that and that'll also give you mm-hmm. some of the firepower to thin out those hordes as well. Yeah. All right, next up, Clint Smith. Clint writes, 
Hi, preferred enemies. I have a quick counts as question for you guys, which if anyone's not aware, counts as is when somebody is using a model, uh, basically using a non-standard model for something. This is not the same as proxying where somebody's like, this model for this game is standing in for this. This is where somebody has bought an alternative model and is using it and it doesn't quite, ma- you know, it doesn't match one for one the existing model. Uh, so, this is a guy in my local scene who recently started using $9 World War II plastic replica tanks as the Forge World Hellhounds. I'm all for cool conversions and counts as things that make sense. I'm currently working on Age of Sigmar Morgasts for Thousand Sun Demon Princes, which I've seen people who have done that, and they yeah. look really good. <laughs> but these tanks look like the ones that come from dollar store army men bags. He justifies by saying the dimensions are close, and he'll eventually add plastic card. I may be getting worked up over nothing. Forge World is expensive, and I haven't played him with his new list, to be fair. But we both go to the same tournaments, and I just feel like if I played him at a tournament, I'd be upset. I've spent a lot of time and money on my models that are all actual GW. I also haven't said anything to him specifically yet, so I, again, I realize I may be going about this the wrong way. You don't have to read this word for word on the air. Too late! But <laughs> because if he listens, he'll know it's about him. Well, okay, he probably knows it. But I'd really like your feedback on this issue. Thanks a lot for your time and great work. Keep it up. So here's what I'm going to say. There's as long as the models are close footprint wise. And it, if he goes through the trouble of actually like building out the expansions with plastic card to, to make them fit better. I've got no problem with somebody using an alternative model, even if it is a $9 plastic replica that doesn't look amazing. Yeah. But if he's, if he's making an honest to goodness effort to just like, he wants to use the hellhounds. He can't afford the hellhounds, but he's found an alternative that he, that is within his budget and he's willing to convert it up to, to at least make it mostly fit. I'd have no problem with it. I understand you like, I've spent a lot of time and money on my models and they're all actual GW. That is great. That, you know, and I don't want to seem dismissive. I don't want to say, well, bully for you, huh? But yeah, it's like, (laughs) no, that is good. And, and that, that's awesome. Not everybody, especially with guard where there's a option, you have to field things in numbers and it can get really cheap. At least he's going with something that's military and looks, you know, vaguely appropriate. So, I mean, I've seen some really, really bad, like, mortar conversions and, can like, <laughs> Earthshaker battery conversions. So, the fact that he's using, you know, World War II plastic tanks, eh. I, th- it is not some, it is not something that is really an issue. The one thing is, if he goes to a tournament with it, he should he should float it by the to to make sure that Absolutely. they're like yeah yeah I mean that and that is standard courtesy as as has have been evidenced by things that like you know the ATC championship run everything by a judge if it's not a standard model yeah you know, that that is that is that should just be understood. Other than that, this is not an issue of you played somebody at a tournament and they were using a non-standard model that didn't that didn't quite look right. And you're kind of steamed about it. You by your own admissions, like, well, I haven't really talked to him about it. It doesn't really, you know, if, if I ran into somebody at a tournament, I might be upset. This doesn't really affect you. This, this is something that's like you, you feel bothered from the sound of the letter. You feel bothered because you've put a lot of time and money into GW models. And this guy isn't, and you feel like, what he's doing isn't right because it's not the way you would have done it. It's not your problem. I, I mean, again, I don't want to seem dismissive, but 
this is his hobby. Let him do it how mm-hmm. he wants. If there's an issue with it, like if it turns out that like it's modeling for advantage or something, then that's an issue. But that's up to the tournament organizer. For friendly play, this should not matter at all as long as you're as long as he's making an effort and you're you know and like hey by the way I'm using these as hellhounds as a school, and then that's that's when you can say eh, I, are they you know maybe maybe not but. See what he does with the plastic art. Like, you know, actually give give the guy a chance to to convert him up and see what he does with it. But otherwise, it's not really your problem. It's not your hobby. It's not your money. Let him figure out how to field an army in a way that works for him. Because this may be he's trying out the Hellhounds to see if they if they work for him. And if maybe if they don't, he scraps the project and moves on to something else. If they do work for him, then he goes through and finishes it. Yeah. But yeah, Clint, I, I really... It's... It's nothing to get upset about. I, I really don't think it is. This is, this is, it, it, it's all, it, like I said, it's not your hobby, so d- don't worry about it. Next up, Seth Charles Oster writes, Howdy, P enemies. A few of my friends and I are going to get the, try to get a podcast going. It's going to focus on us trying to get into competitive play. None of us really did any events before a few months ago, as well as the journey of making an organized community in the central Alabama area, mostly around Montgomery. I wanted to reach out and see if you had any advice on getting a podcast off the ground. You're in luck (laughs) (laughs) because we have a sister podcast that has done just this thing. And that, uh, the, and Kevin was part of that crew. In fact, yes, absolutely. (laughs) So, uh, there is an, we'll put a a link to the episode, but it is, it is what just, it's the audio from a Gen Con panel. Yeah. it's, It's the audio from a Gen Con panel. We did three or four years ago now. Um, it's about an hour long, and it basically just goes through step by step uh, everything from. So you want to start a podcast, but you know, uh, picking a topic, picking a time to record, episode topics, uh, sound engineering, uh, mic stuff like that. Like it goes into some technical stuff. It goes into the software. It does cover a lot of things. It's not the most in depth, but it covers a pretty good breadth of topics. And then if you have like specific questions. Um, you know, about technical issues and stuff like that, definitely reach out to us. We can try to see what we can do to help. Uh, we've been really lucky in both podcasts that we actually have friends that are like sound engineers. Um, so we actually have gotten really good advice on what equipment to buy. But there are other podcasts I know that do all free software. Um, the uh, Exterminatus podcast that I was on uh, a couple months ago, they record everything using free online software. Uh, that you know records and mixes and everything like that so you can go as you know as in depth with to it as you want uh, you know and and that'll it'll impact like the audio quality and some of the things like that but if you're starting out there's there's plenty of really really good options to get started with and when we started out we started out with just a hand mic yeah no we started <laughs> we started out sitting around a table with a hand mic in the center and that's our first 50 episodes so, I mean, I mean, it took us a couple of years to like get to the point where we're like, okay, we need to buy real mics and a real soundboard. But, you know, we started out bare bones, but we knew what we wanted to talk about. And it sounds like you, that's the other thing is figuring out what, what is your niche? What, cause there's lots of people that talk about 40K, but they talk about different aspects. They talk, they have different viewpoints and figuring out what is your, what is your voice in the, in the podcast universe? What are you bringing to the table? Why is your, why is what you're discussing different than other people? And it sounds like you have the idea of we are talking about, uh, mo- transitioning from casual to competitive players and 
how we're building a competitive scene in our area. Now your stuff may, it may seem very localized, but I think there's, there's definitely an audience because while the stuff that is very specific to Montgomery, Alabama may not be, you know, as compelling for some people, what you're talking about, about building a community and transitioning into competitive play, that is something that can appeal to a, to a lot of people. So, yeah. so it sounds like you've got a good sense of where you want to go with it. But yeah, check out that, that, uh, audio podcast or yeah, that the audio that we're, we'll link this in the show notes. Um, it's on, up on SoundCloud. If you go to SoundCloud under discussion and it's episode 133, but, uh, we'll post a link to the show notes and, uh, you can listen there and get the advice from people who've been doing it for years. Uh, and yeah, as Kevin said, reach out to us. I know there's at least a couple of other podcasts that have kind of launched with us kind of like providing, like asking us what, what gear do you use? And I've given them like full links. So like, this is where we got the stuff on Amazon. Here's the actual links to what you can buy. So, uh, if you want to have, and this, we've gotten a lot of compliments on our sound quality and part, and a lot of that is because of the equipment we got and a yeah. lot of the equipment we got was based off of talks with our friend Damon, who is a sound engineer. And also there, if I'll have to see if it's still there, but there was a link on the independent characters website about how they started doing their podcast and what equipment they had. So there's, there's definitely resources out there and we are, we are glad to provide any, any, uh, info we can, that we've learned over the years to help. So yeah, if, if anybody else is interested in doing a podcast, it's, it's not hard to get one off the ground. The, the, the real trouble will be once you, st- as you start doing it, you will find that what you're doing evolves. What, what you started with at episode one will not necessarily be where you are at episode 50 or 100. I mean, we're at episode 179 now. And we're kind of like the listener mail thing is kind of our niche now, but we didn't start doing that until like the one twenties or one thirties. So, uh, it, but it, you know, be ready to grow and change with it. That's the other thing I would say. All right. Next up, Harrison Webb. Harrison Webb writes, hi, preferred enemies. Greetings from the UK. I have a question for you regarding Space Marines. I recently took the pilgrimage up to Warhammer World for the Throne of Skulls tournament with my friend and brought brought my Minotaurs chapter, which I ran as Black Templars tactics because Forge World have yet to show us love, which that is Forge World needs to get on the ball with some of the uh, yeah <laughs> with like chapter tactics because I've seen people like what do I run uh, Red Scorpions as run them as whatever you want because Forge World isn't telling you. I did okay with three wins, two losses, but after talking with several players of various armies over the weekend, something struck me. Space Marines really suffered from being the first codex, as their stratagems were either the base template for every other army or replacement for rules last edition's formations gave us, where other armies got some rather inspired options, I felt. Even Blood Angels seemed to get everything Space Marines got, plus many Blood Angels-specific stratagems, too. Given that unless you're wielding a Primarch and your Marines are a lovely shade of blue, you don't seem to get very far as Marines at the moment. And the circulating rumors of both new Primaris models in the works and a new Loyalist Primarch on the ma- on the way, my question is this. When all the codexes are out for all the armies and GW is caught up, do you think we'll see something similar along or something similar to Age of Sigmar's Stormcast Eternals where they got a new book alongside their new models? Say we saw GW release Primaris bikers, a transport, and some decent combat options for the new boys, would you think we'd see a new codex for Space Marines with some extra strats and relics? 
so that they don't have their flagship army being somewhat bottom of the pile compared to most other armies with the codex out. Sorry, Grey Knights. I'd love to know your opponent. <laughs> love to know your opinions on this matter. All the best, and thank you for providing so many long episodes that make my three plus hour commuting bearable, and all the other standard praises and compliments on your wonderful selves, Harrison Webb. <laughs> um, so uh, actually. We actually have- we actually have a Twitter question that's very similar. So do we want to just kind of address I'll, I'll, that? Okay, so so the Twitter question, I'll go ahead and throw that yeah. one in, is from – let me get it uh, – is from uh, Kilmain Burn, <laughs> which is at Corn, WH4, Corn Warhammer 40K. Uh, and he writes, what do you think the next steps GW will take to keep the 40K universe moving after all the codexes are released? Would it be campaign books, updating model lines, moving the story forward, or something else, or a combo of all three? So yeah, this is very much along the same lines. Um, uh, so I would say one thing we're, I think we're definitely going to see campaign books. I'd like to, I would Mm -hmm. like to see a return to campaign books. I want to see the story move forward. And which is why we want to see campaign books. Um, I would not be surprised if they do follow the age of Sigmar model where when they release a new, um, when they when they release a large enough chunk of models for something, they do a like a new book for it. Which mm. I think the only one they've done that for at this point, um, let's see, would be Stormcast Eternals have a brand new book, and then like there's some overlap between like Night Haunt and Legions of Nagash, but they're a little bit different because yeah. there's some there's some that are like. Because there's some Legion of Gash stuff that counts as Night Haunt, but not everything does. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of weird. They 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 added in that you anything in the Soul Wars box works in Legions of Nagash. Uh huh. But then there's stuff in the new Night Haunt's Battle Tome that is Night Haunt stuff that you can't use in Legions of Nagash. <laughs> That's not confusing at all. <laughs> yeah. They should make a flow chart. Oh, God, no. <laughs> uh, stupid flow chart. It's a well-meaning flow chart, but it's a, it, it has not helped. Um, well, and I think the trickier part is, like, will you release Primaris Bikers, new Primaris Transport, new Primaris Combat Options, etc.? Well, that's not just one codex that needs to get updated with that. Because now you're talking Space Marines, Blood Angels, Dark Angels, now Space Wolves, Death, Death Watch. Watch. Yep. No, I wasn't going to forget. <laughs> so there's five five books that are going to get access to this stuff. So you would almost have to release a comprehensive Space Wolf thing that included all the Space Wolf chapters in one book. Space Wolf chapters? <laughs> Space Marine <laughs> chapter. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. It's more, wow, it's like you're channeling Kevin. I know. <laughs> and he's here. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, will, the, will they, get, will they do a re-release of codexes? I, I don't know yet. And considering that there are still, um, there's still plenty of, like, Age of Sigmar is kind of a weird case because there's, still armies that are running purely off of what's in the grand alliance books too like so a lot of the older stuff is still running out of those books so and also that's a game where they're much more focused on fractional factions where the like a, an entire faction could be like six units cuz like uh, or you know six or eight like spider fang have like 
four different units. Yeah, releasing a battle tome for them doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. Um, well, even Daughters of Cain, which, you know, they got Marathi, they got this big new Marathi model, and then a, a couple of new boxes of, like, winged, winged Dark Elves and Snake Dark Elves. Uh, there's, like, two, four, six, because, like, they're, there's like seven unit, like seven infantry units and Marathi and like a couple of other units that are built out of the same box. So it's like there's four, four or five boxes that make up that entire army and like seven or eight units. They're around the same size as maybe custodes. <laughs> yeah. Well, like- so I have an interesting idea that maybe, maybe this does or doesn't make sense. If, if say there's a phase, you know, a wave two of Primaris Marines coming out. Could they release a Primaris book and then in, include the data sheets for all the Primaris models and then in the faction stuff just list out the chapter tactics or the faction rules for Dark Angels, Blood Angels, Space Marines, you know, Death Watch, uh, Grey Knight, Space Wolves, what, you know, whatever gets access to it. Is that a possible way they can release it where you just release a Primaris Space Marine Codex? And include all the stuff in there, or is that too confusing? I don't know if you do that, but you almost were describing a campaign book, Kev. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's like it would be like Indominus campaign or Indominus Crusade Two Electric Boogaloo would be like all the Primaris add-ons. Yeah, or I mean, if they have new models, here's a campaign book where we're going to feature those new models as part of the campaign. Right, similar to what we saw with like Wrath of Magnus and Curse of Curse of the Wolfen and. Which is when they rolled out like Wolfen and rolled out Zangors and Magnus and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, my my money right now is maybe not rolling out new codexes as soon as the first rotation of codexes is done, and, and moving moving to campaign books so they can move the story forward and update some of these armies piecemeal. So. Yeah. As much as then we'll complain about it later, of and like, then, man, I have to have this book and these two campaign books, right? And well, and then eventually you'll see either that or chapter. I could see chapter approved. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's another place where it's like, okay, these new units are being rolled out and chapter approved. When the next rotation of codex is, yeah, and eventually, like, I think once once everybody's got a codex out, then there's not as much pressure on them to keep the codexes flowing and they can roll them when they're ready to upgrade them, when they're ready to, to a major overhaul or something. Right. Right. But yeah, yeah, it's like just adding new Primaris. You're touching five armies already. Uh, so yeah, but it'll be interesting to see what they do. It, but yeah, also Forge World needs to get off there and give us, <laughs> give us Forge World specific chapter tactics. I, I'm still, well, Forge World still has to update some of the other things too. I'd give them a couple more years yeah. so they can get things updated from the index. Plus supposedly there's an Imperial Armor book that's going to have uh, Tau stuff eventually, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because that, that Tau versus Mechanicus one has been promised for how many years now? Yeah. Like ever since they first revealed the Town R. <laughs> hold your breath on that one yeah no they would they would not end well if i held my breath for that all right next up raymond strub has a quick one did you guys ever do a review of the thousand suns codex and the answer is no mm-hmm. <laughs> there's been a, a slight gap there's like yeah. don't worry thousand suns and guard and dark angels and necron players we will get to you eventually <laughs> When the codexes came out so fast, we had trouble keeping up. Yeah. Well, and I think Thousand Suns came out. like was, That was one of those ones where it was like Thousand Suns and what? Grey Knights the same week? Yeah. Yes. And we're like, uh, we play Grey Knights. We'll pick that one. 
And then something else came out and we never got back to Thousand Suns. So we will get to Thousand Suns eventually. Next up, Dustin Brown. Dustin is a guard player. <laughs> I'm also giving Dustin a little bit of shit because I know Dustin. So, But uh, anyway, so ahem, this one's a little bit of a critique. Just going to say that. So Dustin writes, hi, guys. As always, you're doing a good job. However, this letter, me- email, message, essay, question mark, is a bit of a critique uh, to keep you on your best game. Apologies in advance. It's a long one. Well, and critique is important. It's important yeah. to catch us and, and address issues that you see with us. We are... We are just open, as open to, uh, you know, to criticism as, as everyone. And we take, and we do take it seriously. So he's like, I was disappointed after listening to your previous episode, The State of the Game. It seemed less like a balanced review of eighth so far and more of a gripe fest on how your preferred armies and playstyle in eighth don't work and how the competitive scene plays competitively. It was more so disappointing considering you are ambassadors of the game and a more balanced and constructive outlook, I think, would have been more appropriate, particularly for new players unfamiliar with the dark times of recent editions and GW's lack of interaction. 40k is such a large game, it will never be all things to all people, particularly balanced. This is definitely the most balanced edition I've played so far. Yes, there are a few armies that do have codexes. Codexy? Codices. Now, actually, I think the official term is codexes, even though it's a weird pluralization. That is the right. that is the official GW pluralization. I have codexes that suffer: Space Marines, Necrons, and Adeptus Mechanicus. Many more are viable and do place well in competitive events. If that must be the yardstick, if we do not take that as the yardstick, then the other three books do fine casually too. This could not be say, said for the same of lower tier armies in seventh edition, which is absolutely true. No, he's ab- he's right. Mm-hmm. Armies are in general way more playable now than they ever were. Yeah, and and measure, measuring an, uh, an army's effectiveness purely by how they're doing in the competitive scene at the moment is. It is kind of a weird yardstick, but as evidenced by our last letter, that uh, Space Marine players kind of feel the pinch right now because they are the template for which other armies are based off of, but they're all all the other armies are Space Marine plus stuff, and they feel it. Right, and with as much stuff that comes out and at such a rapid rate, like that yardstick, that like moves a lot. Yeah. Like, constantly. So... Yes, like, Imperial Knights hits, and suddenly that yardstick doesn't measure the same thing anymore. Yeah. The first big FAQ hits, and suddenly the yardstick doesn't measure right anymore. It's like that... The game is very much in flux, and so we're not trying to say necessarily that these armies are, like, permanently, this is where this army will ever be, and it is not going ever going to be good. You'll be surprised where, like, some armies are, and also where armies are, like, when you combine them with other things... Detachment wise, like, well, we'll, I'll continue because he addresses some of that as well. As far as stratagems and command points, although some may be frustrating, agents of Vect, none of are game breaking, especially with only being able to use one per phase. Admittedly, some of the earlier codexes, their stratagems seem lackluster and expensive for their utility, but this can easily be addressed by GW if they choose to, which I think is something we said that, uh, yeah, that is something like some of these may need to be re re reevaluated, repointed even. Uh, eighth edition is literally the stratagem edition, and I think it's better for it. On that note, although it is boring to see guard batteries for command points everywhere, it is supported from a lore perspective, which is absolutely true. And that was actually something I was going to respond to somebody with online, but uh, he addresses this. You know, it's like, yes, it is totally fluffy to have a guard p- battalion being supported by space marines who have come to the rescue and stuff like mm-hmm. that. That There's nothing unfluffy about that. Absolutely not. Is it great for game balance and and mm. anyway? Yeah, we can get into that. Yeah, 
While most other armies, Necrons probably being the outlier, can easily field plenty of cheapish command points one way or another, both Tau armies I faced at Midwest Conquest had 12 to 14, which is far more than my guard list. Speaking of which, I note you've gone as far as just glossing over not having done a guard review, yet are willing to in- incorrectly cl- complain about the power of guard relics. Here we get into the Kurov's Aquila. Kevin, I'm putting this all on you. That's fair. Yeah. In, in particular, claiming the guard relic allows you to claim both yours and your opponent's CP on a five-up is wrong. One is a warlord trait, the other is a relic, and do function slightly differently. To compare it to the similar death death guard relic is not true comparison is misleading. Okay, first, Dustin, I'm going to call you on this. Right. <laughs> and again, I do this because Dustin's a friend, and I, I wouldn't. <laughs> um, it's not a death guard relic. It's a death guard character that you pay points for. Right. And who, yeah. So, and who works completely different and doesn't allow you nearly the same even percentage of getting dice, uh, command points back. Right, because it's, he's on the table, which, I mean, Kurov's Aquila has also been updated that the, the character has to be on sure. the table. But uh, he's on the table, it's a Death Guard stratagem, he rolls 2d6, and on a 7, you get a point back. That is a yeah. far cry from the Grand Strategist Aquila, Kurov's Aquila combo. Yep. He says, if you're upset about uh, damage, si- or if you're upset about d6 uh, ballistic skill four up, strength four, AP dash, mortar shots. You might need to review your list building. Having said that, yes, guard are probably in one of the better positions than they've been in a long time. Which, and I think, to be fair, I think that is one of the reasons that guard players are a little can be. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say across the point, but I, and I think this is true of any player. When your army has been bottom tier for a long time in previous editions, when suddenly you are the new hotness that everybody's dropping into their armies. It can feel like, hey, we finally we, we finally got our moment in the sun. How dare you tell us that we shouldn't have it? Sure. And so I I understand like Tau was in that position. I was in like Tau players, Tau was not not good at in <laughs> in uh before their codex in in six and fifth sixth edition. Yeah, yeah, fifth in fifth edition, Tau Tau was not not good. Not good. Um, I I won exactly all of zero games with my Tau in fourth and fifth edition. Yeah. And uh, then Tau got a bunch of new, you know, they got supporting fire and stuff and something like, holy crap, Tau's broken. Like, no, we're just actually decent now. Mm-hmm. And so I, and I think that's where guard players are kind of coming from with it's like, hey, we're actually good now. And at the same time, guard is not cleaning up tournaments either. So it's it's a much very more varied field. So it's, it's not like the leaf blower days where there's this one guard build and it breaks everything. Finally, and this was a response to other listeners, but seems to apply here too. Assault is not dead in this edition. Yes, it's challenging, and fallback should probably be slightly more difficult. Totally agreed. Mm-hmm. The idea of auto mortal wounds does seem like a good trade off. D3 wounds against the falling back unit if your unit has five or less models, and D6 if it has more than five models remaining. May the days of losing one model, failing round, losing a dice off against initiative to wipe an entire squad never come back. Disagree! In a game where weapons <laughs> can, can destroy entire planets, assault should be the last resort, and a specialty of select units. Units. We'll agree there. I think I don't think everybody should be good at assault. I think you should build your army for assault. Um, the risk reward of assault is that you can get two attacks per game turn on your opponent, and if done with the correct unit, can be quite devastating. A specialist assault unit, if not wiping its target, should force enough casualties for morale to wipe them out. Yes, positioning is important, but it is important for every aspect of the game. My all stars in Midwest Conquest were my assault units: Raven Guard, Thunder Hammer, Storm Shield, Terminators. Wait, that's not a guard unit. Love you, Dustin. And Bulgrins. And not the four, not the four two ones, just the regular two up guys. My new, 
My new list includes even more salt elements. Any mono build list in this edition will be punished in competitive environment, including shooting. End rant. I appreciate the podcast. I think you guys generally do an excellent job, which is what made the last one seem so out of character. I think we can make amends if you can think of one thing each that is significantly better than in 7th edition, because despite some minor issues, the game is a significantly better place than 14 months ago. See you at Siege World, Rob. Cheers, Dustin. Well, and, and to be fair, we closed with that episode talking about how this was the best edition of the game we've ever played. Yes, that we're having mo- more fun than we've had in previous editions. I, I think where it probably sounded off is when we talk from a competitive point of view, those go, here's the best of this, yep. pack as much as you can. But if you're playing narrative or casual, I mean, I have like Shining Spears, Fire Dragons, Swooping Shining Hawks. Spears are really good now, that doesn't really Right, <laughs> but I mean, of those... Shining Spears could go into a competitive list, but I probably wouldn't take Fire Dragons or Swooping Hawks, even though they play like they would and they're fun to play. Uh-huh. I mean, yep. so I mean, it, it, it's just, they're, 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 I don't want to say they're two different games, but. Well, just like I, I love the idea of ghost kills and, and they, I love using them, but in at least how I was using them, they didn't fit with the competitive meta and they weren't really helping me there, but I like them and I think they, they model what they're supposed to do. So. I, and as far as like the guard mortar thing, I think that was just more of the fact that it is really cheap shooting that you can just throw in real quick that ignores line of sight. And yeah. it's just, it's just a hassle. It's not even like, yeah, if it's a problem for you, your list has issues, but it's more just like, wow, they've got access to this really, really cheap. Yes, it's weak, but it's really cheap artillery that can just yeah. pad out that guard and, battery. And for yeah. me, I'm just going to make fun of anyone guard or anyone who has something that they can fire without line of sight and they're shooting through walls. And like, if they've got a ceiling over them, because yeah. I know other like shooter games I play where if I fire a rocket launcher or something and I have a wall in front of me, I blow up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There are, there are really weird rules interactions. So. I mean, I, I accept it's part of the game. And it, it, like you said, it's good for guard that they're, they're finally have arrived, so to speak, even though, like you said, they're not cleaning up, but they're they found their place. Yes, and I and and, yeah. and, and I, I mean, right now that is already something that is better than seventh edition. Armies are finding their place. Armies have the they're really getting the right play style now. That it they are where they thematically they're where they should be. Yeah, much more than in previous editions, and they're doing it without the weird crutch of formations, which broke army building. I mean, if we're going to be absolutely honest, yeah. no, absolutely. No, the thing for me, the guard battery, and like I said, the reason why the reason why it's it's frustrating to me to see it is it's sort of it seems to me like it is sort of a formational crutch type thing because you do see at least at top tier competitive events you see that specific build of two company commanders uh, you know with the warlord trait the aquila a couple mortars three ten man you know squads and it's only there to set in the very back of the table, recycle command points and take pop shots with mortars. There are so many other great ways to play guard and build guard that if you're really concerned about like, oh, we're going to build this because it's fluffy, take voice trends, take, you know, take uh, catachins and, you know, make them more melee focused. Like there's so many other cool ways to do that as well. And you never see those other ways. You only see this one specific you know, 250 point build and partially because the game is so balanced right now, you don't see a lot of that with other armies. So it stands out more that you're constantly seeing this one build, uh, pop up everywhere for, for guard. And it's, it's, 
It's not even a it's, guard build. That's the thing. It's like, yeah, it's yeah. the thing that you plug into the other seven, 1750 in your army that actually does the work. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, and like you said, it's not that it's bad or that it's, it's just, it's disappointing to see that that's the most common way that guard gets used. And I think in general, as we talked about earlier with command points, I think command points need a major adjustment in the game. And here's the thing. Ask yourself, people that are running the, you know, the guard battery, if they change command points where you can only spend command points on your detachment or they change it so that you can't recycle command points the same way, are you still keeping that guard, that guard battalion? Of course not. You're not taking it at all. If that's the case, you're only taking it to add command points then it's only there for command points. Like, let's at least acknowledge that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I here's an interesting thing that I thought of. It was like right now in competitive play, like for for ITC points, because that, that's what we're talking about here. Your points, you go to the faction of the uh, where the most points are spent. So like if you are a Blood Angels player and you have 1750 points of Blood Angels and 250 points of Guard because you need the, the point battery – you're a Blood Angels army. Mm-hmm. What if your faction was determined by who's your warlord? Yeah. Because suddenly there'd be a ton of guard players out there, and I think <laughs> the real guard players would not be happy about that. Just yeah. saying. And I kind of almost wish it was that way. Of course, then that also <laughs> leads to the weirdness of I can splash in anything and claim a faction and then have the rest of my army be something else. So it's a double-edged yeah, no, sword. I, I don't like that. It, it's, a du- it's an absolutely double-edged sword, but it's kind of like I almost don't think like I'd almost like to see a restriction from I from ITC or, and this doesn't have to be ITC this could be any any uh tournament but something said your warlord has to come from your largest attachment or most points yeah basically okay. like, you 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 cannot have your warlord be in in a in a smaller detachment which would mean basically then you wouldn't get the grand strategist warlord trait and technically if your warlord isn't Astro Militarum, you can't take Kurovs. I think you can still spend command point. No. You can still spend the command points to do it, yeah. No, no, but I mean, Kurovs Aquila is a... Is a right. You well, sp- you still spend the stratagem to get the extra relics. Well, you can have one extra relic. Right, but that's enough to take. You spend the command well, points to get that one, yeah. Well, th- okay. No, because if your army is led by an Astro Militarum Warlord, then you can give one of the- You can't use the relics if your army is not led by that Warlord. That was my think, original interpretation, but how it's I been think, interpreted. I think ITC has interpreted that you can spend that rel- you can spend that stratagem to take relics. Because the stratagem not- overrules this page. It says, oh, so the yeah. one extra is what you spend the command point yeah. on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, see, I, I don't really think that's the intent. I, I agree with you, but that's how I've seen it ruled <laughs> no, multiple it, places. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah see, I, I, see, personally, I would rule it as it's... It's an extra, but you have to have access to them in the first point to take any of them. So, GW, if you're listening, please, fact. Because I'm wondering <laughs> if that's how, like, Blood Angels players are like, this is Slam Gwinius with the mm-hmm. Angel's Wing, even though I'm absolutely. my Warlord is over there in the Command Point battery. Yes. No, absolutely. That is exactly how they're doing it. Uh, see, that's, that, is, that is one of those weird ca- – fix that in the big FAQ. GW, yeah. fix that real quick. Cause yes, that, please. Yeah, because that would also address a lot of the issues. Now, the, the, the warlord has to be from your largest detachment thing. That, that's more something on, on an army building level. But mm. 
And again, that could also be a match play only narrative play. Go knock yourself out. Yeah. Because the weird thing there is like, then you couldn't, you would be very hard pressed. Like, I'm going to make an Inquisitor my warlord. I'm not in match play. You're not in narrative play. Absolutely. And that's where that would make sense is in narrative play being able to do that. For sure. Right. So, okay. But to his challenge, what if we can each think of one thing significantly better than seventh edition? I, I mean, I'll take the cop out answer and say shining spears. <laughs> you are not wrong. I mean, you, you, if you've listened to the show numerous times, previous editions, I always ranted about how bad they were. Yeah. And now they are probably the best Eldar jet bike there is. Yes, they are. But I mean, on the whole, um, the edition has so much good stuff in it. I, and like, I can play Eldar however I want and all of them are viable. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's also another really good thing about this edition because it allows for Lots of different builds. Yes. I I don't miss psychic powers that can move terrain around. <laughs> <laughs> and the rules interactions thereof. Oh, yeah. I do not miss that at all. I mean, here's a, do Tyranids have more than one invent save now? Yes. That's, that's something yeah. that's good. Um, seven, I, One thing that is definitely better is um, unified rules so that uh, like vehicles and monstrous creatures, all, everything works the same way. Wounding works the same way. Uh, assault and shooting combat works the same way. It's, you know, the, the difference is literally just the range. Um, that, is, that has gotten rid of so many weird corner cases and along with that by unifying them that also means getting rid of things like armor values and facings and there's some weirdness there with like 300 you know 360 range guns on everything especially flyers yeah on flyers (laughs) there's still some weirdness but the i think the benefit of having unified rules for everything is, is worth that um i mean for me i think it's i think the game balance and army balance is so much better than it's ever been before uh, which is why, like, it kind of makes it some of the things like the guard battery kind of stick out to me a little bit, right? Uh, because the, our, overall, the game balance is a thousand times better than it's ever been any time I've ever played it. Um, and I, I like the fact that you go to events and you see every army except pretty much orcs, but that's because they don't have a codex yet. Um, October, but, it's coming. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's like, but like the, the events I go to, you see every army played, and that's that's fantastic. That's what I want out of this game. Yeah, and you don't even see, like, one variety of army played. I mean, you'll see common elements, but even among, like, two, you know, three players playing the same army, there will be obvious differences in what's been taken. And mm-hmm. the fa- and like Dennis said, the fact that you can support those different builds within, within a faction and still be at very solid. I mean, like, even though, yes, the big Tau thing is still a ridiculous number of shield drones, it's what you take in addition to the ridiculous number of shield drones that can completely change up how your army plays. Yeah. So, yeah, no. So there are definite, we can, I think we could, e- we could just do a laundry list of all the things we like better in this edition. So don't think that we're slagging on eighth and don't even really think that we are slagging on competitive play in general or like where balance is because like as you said richard balance shifts all the time in right. this edition yeah. right now but i think like i like i said in the last episode you can see where the cracks are 
But I also trust that GW is also seeing where the cracks are, and we saw it with the first big FAQ after Adepticon. They're we- they're ready to patch and address those. So I, I don't think I don't think the game is in a bad spot by any means. And if we came across as being negative, I think it's because it was just it was a critique episode. It was kind of like saying this is what's working. This was what needs to be you know this is what needs to be changed. But it's but as you also said, Kevin, we ended on the note of this is still the best edition we've played so far. Yeah, absolutely. All right, next up is from Vin Gonzalez. And Vin writes, uh, and this is actually a couple of uh, Facebook comments that I think constitutes a letter the way it put it together. So he said, really good one so far. I just wanted to point out one mistake. Mike Brandt has done re- has done well now at several tournaments, but he does run soup, with big, big time soup with Blood Angels. So he's got a, he still has a guard battery detachment and then running Blood Angels on top of that. I think that's an important distinction distinction given the topic of the listener letter. I agree with the letter mostly, and I think Overwatch really is that bad to face very often. Not always. Because sometimes the choice is assault that auto-hit monster that needs to go or get mired in a fruitless slog of poxwalkers that you won't ever kill. The viable versus competitive thing, I mostly agree with you guys, but I don't think you were being entirely fair. Tau, for example, are designed to be shooty. An assault-based Tau just doesn't make sense. Blood Angels are designed to be assaulty. Their chapter tactic only works in assault, but they're not necessarily good that way. That said, I've seen several, I've seen people running Blood Angels as Ultramarine's Light doing the reroll gunline thing and having success. And of course, Soup is still the best, but didn't GW say the new edition would reward fluffy builds at the beginning of this edition? And again, that's kind of where it's like the fluffy build. Well, having a guard platoon there is fluffy. I can't say that it's not. Yeah. So, uh, but continuing on, the rest of the episode was excellent, guys. Thanks. And I also, I think I may have the perfect middle ground solution for the command points issue. The command point bonuses we saw in the FAQ give those only to mono codex, faction, regiment, etc. armies. There's no change to command points that won't require some tricky wording from GW, but this one isn't too bad. So, soup is still probably the best option because IG command point batteries are easy and still great, and collecting all the best units from other faction really has no downsides, even without free command points. But these armies don't necessarily need the extra command points we got from the FAQ, and they shouldn't get it, because it's not balanced and it's not fluffy. Monocodex armies need the command points, and they should also receive more command points for Vanguard, Spearhead, and Outrider detachments as well. This is more balanced rules-wise, but also way more fluffy. A Space Marine Captain, for example, should have way more control and command command points over his own Marines than some mixed bag of Imperial Soup. The same goes for the Hive Mind, War Bosses, Chaos Gods, etc., etc. What do you guys think? The other issue with command points is that some armies need them more than others. Some need them front-loaded, some not. But I believe the change above could really help balance that aspect and have an approved effect on list building in general. Curious to hear your feedback. Also, corn chowder is freaking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll speak on the last one because I had an idea about, air quote, fixing things that I tossed out to Rob. And he said it sounded pretty good, mm-hmm. which was um, step one take um, the command point bonuses from battalions and brigades away and put them back to where they were. Because they were technically fine and kind of balanced there. Step two, if your army, all the detachments in it, are of the same faction, subfaction, so all Samhain, all Blood Angels, all Imperial Guard or Catachin or whichever your lowest faction is, then you get plus three command points. Because then that unit is so used to dealing with each other that they can actually listen to the commander a lot more effectively than if you had say, a soup army. And so that was my suggestion on, on how we could look at these things. No, and I see, and I think that, that, that is really the issue. It's like, 
There's the difference between a fluffy army and a fluffo mono, fluffy mono build army. And what we're seeing is we're not seeing the mono builds coming up as often when you don't have to. And yeah, having the, having the bonus being tied towards I'm building everything. If your entire army is one, one faction and also shares, like it on a codex by codex basis, you'd say, and also shares the same chapter trait or mm-hmm. craft world or sept or what, you know, what have you. High fleet. High fleet, regiment, uh, forge world, uh, uh, orc clan, I imagine, will be, I yeah. think, is their keyword. Clan. Yeah. Um, work still remain to be seen if gene stealers will have different, like, cults, like individual cults. Uh, I think it is cult in the index. Yeah, do they have cult? Is it cult in the index? I think so. I don't recall off so, the top of my head. A har- Harlequin mask, what have yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, that would, it would reflect the, yeah, like you said, it would reflect the idea that these, the, this particular group fights well enough together that they all, they all get each other, they all understand each other. But it also makes sense that, and, and if you want the characters, like, like, you already have characters, like, if this character is your warlord, you get extra command points. That represents that character just being so good at commanding people, he can, like, over, like, so, like, Bobby G. He gets those, he just always has the extra command points, but that's built into him. If you are an Ultramarines army with Bobby G, even better, but that's all Ultramarines. Yeah, no, I think, I, I like, I like the idea of only rewarding mono builds with the extra command points. And yeah, and then if you went back to, yeah, just a battalion is worth three command points, it's, un- it's funny how we didn't have those guard battali- battalions popping up. Before the five command point thing. Funny that. <laughs> well, I guess that's not entirely true because uh, there were there was a little bit they're, at LVO. They're a lot more prevalent. Oh, now yeah. That they're, they're getting the extra command points out of it. Yes. Absolutely. But uh, no, I think, I think yeah, f- figuring out a way to reward mono build rather than just with the. Especially the way it, it's worded in the codex is like, and we'll talk about this with Space Wolves too, it's it's not, you don't get, like for Blood Angels, you don't get the, like, the Furious Assault, the Furious Charge bonus uh, for the plus one to wound. If your entire army is Blood Angels, it's just if a detachment is Blood Angels. But in especially with the changes to, like, the Battle Brothers changes, of course it's going to be a Blood Angels detachment because you can't share Imperium as a keyword anymore. So you're going to right. have a blood angels detachment so everybody in that gets that ability anyway you're almost either better off saying they just either just rolling that into the army as it is or saying yeah it has to be the entire army gets that or nobody gets it and that would completely change up how people build things because suddenly like slam guinius would not show up nearly as often because he would not be as cool unless he's backed entirely by blood angels which i again i think is how it should be and also, again, this can be something that is limited to match play. In narrative play, go crazy, go nuts. Have fun with it. But also, I'd argue in narrative play, you probably don't need the stratagems as much, or that can be built into the missions themselves and give one side or, or the other more command points as befits the situation at hand. Mm-hmm. All right, next up, more command point talk. <laughs> uh, James Eggers writes, Hi, guys, it's been a while. I was listening to episode 178, and specifically the piece on how to approach command points. Being a heavy Age of Sigmar player, I don't think that is a good idea for 40k. Likewise, I don't really want to see the point difference approach of kill team. 
One thing I was thinking is to give bonuses based on how much you fill out a battalion or brigade. For example, if a battalion contains six or more units, then it gives one, nine or more, then it gives the the player three command points. This encourages a more filled battalion versus dumping things into yet another detachment. This would also require the base CP for each detachment, detachment to be changed as well. This is just a thought I had and would love to get your thoughts on such. Okay, I kind of like this. And, and I say that because like well, I'm getting ready for Iron Halo. Mm-hmm. And... I'm going to run right now three squads of Seekers of Slanesh and fill out an Outrider detachment solely because of the plus one command point. Could I put them in the battalion I've got? Yes. Could I move them as... There's no benefit to doing that. There's no benefit. So fluffy-wise, it would make more sense for them to be part of the battalion because that's where they probably belong. Mm -hmm. But game design-wise, it is better to have plus one command point because... I can. So if you got that by um, filling out, the more you filled out something, the more command points you got out of it. I actually kind of like that. It would be, it would be, be clunky. It would be clunky. And again, some armies are way better at filling it. Like guard can still fill out a battalion way easier than custodes can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like you don't get your full points unless you have at least nine units. That with custodes, that's pushing it. I mean, you could probably, but they're all going to be min-sized units. So, yeah, it's it's something that would have to almost be addressed on army by army basis. There are probably easier ways to do it, but I do like, yeah. There's how many? Yeah, like when I've built my towel, it's like, well, yeah, I'm putting these guys in a vanguard. Why? Because it's an extra command point. It's the only reason I could run this as. The only time I would, it's like you ever would need to move outside of that would be like, I'm using more than four H or more than three HQs. I'm going to have to have a separate detachment. It's the only way I'll fit them in. But that is, then becomes a limitation on the detachment, not just because, well, but I don't have to, but I'm going to because of command points. And again, it's that focus on command points. If yes, it is the stratagem addition, but if command points were, were not the end all be all of everything, maybe we would see this a bit differently. So, you know, just... But there has to be a solution, and I'm hoping Games Workshop is is looking at this and figuring... And Games Workshop may just come out and say, no, this is exactly what we want to. And then we'll just like, okay, then we will just figure out, you know, we'll just play around it and figure out how to to work with it. But we won't know until... I Like, the soonest we'll know is September, if if this is where they want it. Or may... And they may... They may adjust it again and see, like, oh yeah, this is this is not giving us quite what we imagined, so we're going to do something different. All right, next up is from Chris Fuss. Chris writes, "Hey gang, I just finished listening to the recent episode where you reviewed a thousand suns list. While I agree with ninety percent of what you said, I have a little input. I know most people shy away from terminators because they're high, they're heavy point cost, and yes, Zangors are probably far more efficient." But think on this for a second. You guys talked about casting Glamour and Weaver on the Zangors. I've been running a 10-man Terminator unit lately. I'd like to drop in my opponent's back backfield near an objective, turn two or three, or whenever I can do so. I have the aspiring drop... I have the aspiring sorcerer drop Weaver or Glamour, and if I have set up right, another caster hit them with the other power. Now I have a two-up, four-up, two-wound unit with a minus to be shot on their backfield. Also something that a lot of people forget is that all is dust rule. Against any one damage weapons, I get a plus one to saves. So if I get hit with a high AP one damage weapon, power swords, shooting, etc., now it's a two up, three up. 
They are a hard unit to dig out and can pack a punch. Just some food for thought. Keep up the great show. And, and that's abs- absolutely true. That can be a really powerful anvil unit to drop in somebody's backyard. Mm-hmm. It's, it is tricky to drop a unit of, uh, terminators that big, that close, just because 40 mil bases plus staying nine inches away from everybody. On turn two or three, you may not have many good drop points, and they are really expensive. And so, it and it comes down to what, like, I mean, absolutely try it out, see how it works. Although I also know that, well, I guess, how much is a box of Zangors versus, like, how how many boxes of Zangors would you need versus buying two boxes of Scarab Occult Terminators? It'd be it'd be cheaper to buy the Terminators. Okay, <laughs> so cash wise, it might actually be worth it to try out the the Terminators. But but they are going to be a big chunk of your army at, at a ten man unit. So it's one of those interesting things. Like obviously we talked last episode about uh, Don at Barrier Open using uh, Death Guard Terminators. Yeah, and that was really good. That's a really you know, and it's it's very similar what you're discussing here, where you use them kind of in a very similar harassing anvil like method. The problem that I run into is. The Scarab Occult Terminators are not as good at that because they don't have the disgustingly resilient. They don't have some of the weapon options that you can take with the uh, Death Shroud Terminator. Not Death Shroud. Blight Lord. Blight Lord Terminators. Yes, thank you. Um, it's like you're you're stuck with the Scarab Occult Terminators. You've got very limited, uh, very limited guns that you can take, and you're basically using the Chain Sword Power Sword as like the only melee option. So it, it's just one of those where it's limited. I don't know that it's a bad choice. Um, and I think a lot, you're going to see a lot of people, uh, reevaluating terminators, um, because they have been used effectively in, in certain cases. So I, I'm not going to say that I don't, I think they're bad. I, the, the current kind of thinking, especially at that time was, that the Zangor route is the much better route and the much more efficient route to go with. And this is still an addition where you want to have bodies instead of, you know, elite troops for for the most part. Yeah. And, and just to put that in comparison, the the Scarab assault terminators are, let's see, they're all armed with combi bolters and power sword or the Inferno combi bolters and power swords. So they are 33, 36, um, two, 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 two power sword. 36. They are 40 points a piece. So not counting the so they're going to be 400 points not counting if you put any of the special weapons on them. Yeah. Versus Zangors are 7 points a piece. I mean a unit of 30 is still only going to be 210. Yeah. So I mean yeah it's a powerful unit but point wise oof it is it is a big chunk. Well, Lisa, as you mentioned though, if, if it works for you, that then yeah, then use it. That's great. Um, and I can definitely see the value in having that unit, but I also understand why more people go the Zangor out. Yeah, yeah. They, it's just they are costly, and we're still in an addition where like every point matters, and and being able to squeeze out because. You have to consider, like, what am I giving up for those extra 190 points that I'm spending? And am I, and am I getting enough survivability and is the deep strike co- uh, capability enough to warrant the trade-off? I, I'd be more interested in, like, 
testing a unit of five, which is about the same cost as a unit of 30 Zangors, and then seeing seeing how that works out and then comparing there. Yeah. And if it works out, or if you like, this would work better if I just had a few more bodies, then maybe you go the the full 10-man 10, 10 route. But uh, yeah, I mean, definitely look at trying it out and see what works. But I, I think in general, just for cost efficiency and be able to put points elsewhere in the army, I still think the Zangors are probably the better route. And th- and throwing a throwing a ton of attacks at Terminators will eventually wear them down, and I don't know if they'll wear them down any faster or slower than throwing those attacks at 30 Zangors. That's the other thing. Yeah. All right. Um, next, this is our last full letter, and then we've got a Twitter letter after this. Uh, so this is from Jamie Kelly. Jamie writes, hello, guys from Oz. So Australia, for those of you. So welcome welcome aboard, Jamie. Uh, love the podcast. Just finishing to the State of the Game episode. I wanted to run past you guys a house rule fix we are considering in our game group to balance up the issues around assault-based armies in 8th. Full caveats, I play Tyranids, and I do fairly well with my heavily gene-stealer army. No flyers, so don't judge. Uh, Games Workshop, in their wisdom, have laid the foundations for rebalancing the stratagems. Wow, this guy's been listening to you, Richard. (laughs) So my suggestion is to add a universal stratagem to solve the fundamental issue I have with less min-max assault lists. One of the things we rarely question is the idea that when we deploy for the game, we deploy our armies with a fairly significant amount of separation relative to the speed of an average unit, but much so less so relative to the range of most shooting. Deploying a, deploying a gun line on the back line offers you anything from 24 to 36 inches of minimum distance to travel for assault armies to cross. My NIDs complete... My nids compete purely because of the speed I can get out of my Kraken slash Swarmlord Power Gene Stealer units, similarly for Custodes Jet Bikes, Shining Spears, etc. So why not a stratagem in the vein of Vanguard? Uh, X command points for Vanguard, uh, so based on how many units you're placing. Uh, D3 or 1 to 3, etc. units of up to X power level, no maxed out assault units, only, uh, only MSU. 12 inches com- immediately before the first turn begins. These units cannot move within 12 inches of enemy units, can still be screened against, and cannot shoot on the first turn. No moving, pushing a bunch of melted guns up close. As the assault player, I'm still playing command points for this to, to do this, so it's not free. It gives me a great deal of tactical flexibility without adding much to the few powerful assault units that already exist. It gives offers greater viability of starting units on the board rather than waiting to deep strike them. It also allows me to make better use of mid-board cover, which rarely offers me any real line-of-sight blocking and never any save benefit. As a defensive player, I can still use chaff or screens to affect the game. Most importantly, I think it could be implemented in ways that don't suddenly enable the auto-win assault bomb army, which upset a lot of people. Thoughts? Jamie, who wants to run his Blood Angels. Um, I think having a, a way to... P- push a unit forward would be totally fine and technically because this is outside of phase you could use it as many times as you had command points so you could easily move up you know two three units into a better assault position uh capping at power level is not a bad idea because yeah. it because yeah a, a fully tricked out like uh assault unit could get can be like really high pl this would also keep somebody from moving forward like a knight or something into a sl- mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. because if there's anything a gallant needs it's to be closer to you turn one so <laughs> <laughs> no I don't think I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea and yeah more universal stratagems would help patch up although we'll have to see how long that's how how much longer that's required once everybody's got codexes yeah but it also s- depends on like what gaps could anybody make use of. Because we're still seeing, and we'll see this in Space Wolves, a lot of stratagems which are just recycled Space Marine stratagems. So obviously, 
having the same things available from from multiple armies is not you know GW doesn't see that as a bad thing. Maybe yeah. And you could even put a cap on this once per game if you wanted to make sure that people just like moved one unit ahead or something. Or yeah, having somewhat because uh, there's obviously precedence for the vanguard ability. I mean, my uh, sisters of battle dominions have that where they get a free movement, but they can't end up within twelve inches of somebody. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the the age of uh, in Age of Sigmar, uh, Iron Jaws have something pretty similar to this, I, right. if I recall correctly. Yeah, and. Where it would be costed would be kind of based on what other command point changes they make. But yeah, that would definitely, and again, house rule. That's a totally fun, you know, fun, uh, stratagem to just mix into your, lo- your, your friendly games and see what comes of it and see, see how it works, play around with it, tweak it, and then maybe send it off to GW and say, Hey, we've done a lot of play testing and we think this might be a good addition to patch some of the other issues. Total, I mean, yeah. I'm totally supportive of that. So yeah, give it a try. See, see how it works out. I think it, I think it's not a bad idea. Like what it would depend on like what the particulars are, but I think you're on the right path to coming up with an interesting fix for it. All right. And if you have a question and eventually we'll get back to list review. So if you have a question or a critique or commentary or an idea or just a rules question you want to put, put to us, uh, there's three good ways to do that. Uh, first is to email us and our email address is our first names at preferred enemies.com. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferred enemies.com. Uh, you can find those also linked on our website, which is also preferredenemies.com. Uh, second is on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com slash preferredenemies. Uh, you can like us there. We post about like upcoming news, things we're working on, events we're going to, armies that we've seen at events, stuff like that. And then you can also you like us there. You can send us messages. We take those messages uh and you can send us messages there. The third way is on Twitter. We are preferred enemy singular on Twitter. Uh, and you can just, uh, in fact, uh, we put out a call for questions usually right before we record an episode. So uh, you, we take everything that we get from there. We consolidate all those together, put them together in our list. And that's what we read on the air. And like I said, we will be getting back to uh, emails uh, or we will be getting back to list reviews soon. We just had a lot to talk about today. In addition, we have a Patreon if you want to help support the show and this helps us pay for like our new sound equipment that we have or um, we're also using this so we can travel to more events, which unfortunately, due to an expansion of your family, you will not be going to the uh, the Citadel, the Warhammer Citadel opening. But congratulations to your brother. Yep, I'm going to be an uncle again, so. But uh, but we do use, like, I'm going to be traveling to Siege World, we're going to Iron Halo, we're going to be going to Renegade Open, so this helps defray some of those costs as well. Uh, so if you want to support the show, um, it it's basically an online tip jar. Uh, it Basically, you go to patreon.com slash preferred enemies. Uh, basically, you can give as little as a dollar a month. Uh, it's just a monthly thing. We don't put any of our content behind a paywall, so all our episodes will be continue to be free forever. Although we are working on uh, perks for our listeners, in fact, we should be having our initial set of uh, preferred enemies dice coming very, very soon. And once we get a look at those and we can put, put pictures of them up, we're going to give our Patreons first crack at ordering sets. And we've already had several people say they're interested. So if uh, so, if you want to join, even like I said, even if it's just as little as a dollar a month, enough people put in a dollar, it all adds up. And so we want to give shout outs to our new patrons. We have Nathan Martin, who also runs the uh, Show Me Showdown, and uh, Will Bellows, who wrote our first, lep- uh, first letter this episode. So uh, thank you guys for uh, joining our Patreon family. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and take a break for sponsor identification. And when we get back, 
we'll be digging into our review of Codex Space Wolves. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them, we paint them, we love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40k, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. Their professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a GameMat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and so it's time to dig into our main topic, which is our look at Codex Space Wolves, the hot new or cold new, I guess, depending on which season of Fenris it is, of uh, the the new take on Space Wolves in 8th edition. We've moved beyond index phase. And uh, so first off, a little bit about the Space Wolves. Do you like werewolves and Vikings? I hope you do, because that's where we're going. <laughs> because, <laughs> uh, okay, so the Space Wolves are one of the original founding legions. They're... Uh, Lehman Russ, if that name sounds familiar, it's because he has a tank named after him. Uh, he was their uh, Primarch, and uh, the the Sons of Russ, as they're also known, um, or the, was it the Vilka Free? I can't ever pronounce that properly. Sons of Russ, got it. Sons of Russ, got it, yeah. <laughs> For, I think it's like Vilka Fenrica. Yeah, there it's we go. Vil- Latin, Vil- so. No, it's like fake Norse. Yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah, the Vilka Fenrica are like, you know, the... Or also known as the Sky Warriors of Rust, the Rout, the Wolves of Fenris. And there are no wolves on Fenris, and any Fenrisian will gladly tell you that, besides the fact that there are Thunder Wolves and Fenrisian Wolves and Cyber Wolves. <laughs> and yeah, so. But basically, um, Rust land, when, when all the Primarchs were scattered as infants, Rust landed on the death world of Fenris. And Fenris is a world that is, has a highly elliptical orbit. Uh, it is frozen most of the time until it gets really close to its sun and then it gets like very uh geologically active lots of volcanoes and magma but most of the time it's a frozen death trap but the hard-bitten uh people living on the planet raised him 
in their their very Viking lifestyle. You know, these are humans that had left during the dark age of technology, landed on Fenris, had no way to get off, and so they're like, oh, we'll just live here now, even though it sucks. And uh, it's made them very tough Viking people. And uh, Russ was found and brought back into the Emperor's fold, and then he and his, uh, his legion at the time were made the... Uh, basically the executioners of the emperor. So if another chapter or in this case legion went rogue, the space wolves were the the legion that were sent after them to to bring them to heal as it were. This is su- suspected to have been ha- to have happened a couple of times uh before the outside of the story that we know because nobody knows what happened to the second and 11th legions. It is Which legions? Never heard of them. Yeah, never, never heard of them. Yeah, they, 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 you know, stricken from imperial record. Although I think there's a couple of horse heresy books where, like, in conversations, it is mentioned that like we don't talk about them. But what if Russ, What if they have to send Russ to do his thing again? So it is strongly suggested that the Space Wolves killed at least one other legion under command of the or under orders of the Emperor. Uh, but most famously, he w- he and the Space Wolves were sent to face off against the the Thousand Sons after Magnus did a bad and used uh, sorcery to try to warn the Emperor that Horus was coming, that Horus had gone rogue. And unfortunately, he had already been told not to use sorcery anymore. And by doing so, kind of screwed up the Emperor's Webway project that he was working on. The Emperor did not take kindly to his orders not being followed. So he told Russ, and I think Horus may have been involved too to kind of mix up some of the, some of the, uh, some of the orders. But mo- most importantly, Russ and the Space Wolves were sent after the Thousand Sons and, uh, it didn't go well for the Thousand Sons, although obviously they got away because they are still around. But Russ and Magnus faced down. Magnus has never gotten over that, and they they got away like dust in the wind. Yes, yes. But <laughs> but then we're get, but then we're getting in, we're going to get into another codex if we do that, right? But uh, so obviously these uh, the Space Wolves were loyal through the Horse Air Sea, and uh, they kind of they don't follow the the Codex Astartes that. Uh, that Gulliman set up, they've kind of done their own thing since then. Russ has since been lost, I believe, to the warp. And in fact, there was an entire great company, the 13th Great Company of Space Wolves, chased after the Thousand Suns into the Eye of Terror and disappeared for 10,000 years. Uh, we'll get to them in a second. <laughs> but in the meantime, there's still been 12 other great companies, which are roughly equivalent to Space Marine companies. Although I think they're they're obviously not held to a hundred a hundred bodies, so the spa- there are many more space wolves out there. Um, there are no uh, space wolf successor chapters, as far as I'm aware. They are just, but again, they don't fall under the Codex Astartes. They just do their own thing. But they are also fiercely loyal, so nobody really has questioned them or si- or tried to like uh, Gilliman. Basically, yeah, we're cool. <laughs> yeah, you know, they're 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 fine with that. Uh, and the Space Wolves ha- do things very much their own way. Um, for one thing, their, their organization is very different. Most Space Marine chapters kind of follow the process of we find somebody who wants to be a, a, who we think will be a good Space Marine. We put them through a bunch of tests. We start the process of, of upgrading them genetically into a Space Marine. And then once they are up to a certain point, we make them into scouts and we send them out to do, 
to do the light duty until they've proven themselves, and then we'll slap them in full power armor and make them a full-on space marine. The space wolves do not do that. In fact, they it's like once you are genetically advanced enough to be put into power armor, that's the first place you go. And they throw you into what they call the blood claws, which are the young, fierce space wolves. Because remember, these are all like space Vikings. These are the young, fierce, hot-headed, uh, assault-focused space wolf troops that uh, want to, you know, they want to prove themselves in battle. And so they will run in blindly and attack anything unless somebody actually kind of tells them, whoa, 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 hold on, I'm in charge here. Then once they've aged a certain bit and proven themselves, then they move up to... Uh, gray hunters, and that's when they become more like your standard tactical marine type. Then once gray hunters have uh, have aged and proven themselves, they specialize in a couple of different directions. One is they can go the, the long distance option, and they can become uh, long fangs, which are basically devastators, or uh, the like the oldest and most knowledgeable space wolves that don't actually become like battle le- battle guard leaders or wolf lords go into the wolf scouts. So their scouts are their most most skilled, able to operate on their own characters. And that's because Wolf Scouts can pretty much pop up behind you because they've been tracking you this whole time because they're, they've, they've been able to live off the land and follow you. Seeing here, I thought you were going to talk about the, the initiation that was part of turning into a space wolf. No, no, I hadn't covered <laughs> that part. Well, um, pretty much the, the, the biggest part of it was is, um, they give you the, wolfen gene is the very last thing and then drop you off and you have to go a thousand miles with just you no supplies no gear no anything and get back to the fort yep and, and if you do you're a space wolf yep yeah the canis helix which is the the wolfen gene which that's it's one thing that has made the space wolves a little bit different than their other space marine can now every space marine chapter has their own uh genetic issues like some don't have access to all the standard space marine upgrades uh some of them have particular skin colorations such as salamanders are coal black uh raven guard tend to be very pale uh, blood angels have bloodthirst and are sparkly vampires uh but uh, space wolves um one thing they all have like long canine teeth uh and uh they tend to be a little bit hairier than other people, and they can occasionally supposedly full-on wolf out. Although, again, people will tell you there are no wolves on Fenris, which makes you wonder where the Thunder Wolves come from. Just <laughs> saying. But uh, this is also an army that is just wolf. You're going to see the wool- words wolf and frost a lot, and those, those kind of just work into the army. There are grand companies, each led by a wolf lord, and I think they're all named at this point, or pretty much. Some of them even have special stats. Yeah, all except for the 13th Company. The 13th Company, which was the one that was lost to the warp. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, it's, and different different uh, companies have different focuses. Some are more focused on vehicles. Some are more focused on, on cavalry. Some are more just mixed generalist. So the thing with the Wolfen is... That, like I said, the, the space wolves have always had this, like, slight mutation. And again, it's the Canis Helix. It is unique to them. And the, you know, the Inquisition has always kind of watched them for genetic drift. But again, they're loyal space marines. They've never been anything but loyal space marines. So we'll just kind of watch them. Well, then 
something happened near the end of the 41st, you know, as we are nearing our point in the story in, in the present time. Actually, this would have been, I guess, 100 years before since they've kind of jumped forward a bit. But um, near the end of 7th edition, uh, the the member, what appeared to be members of the 13th company started popping up anywhere where, like, chaos, like, chaos demon incursions were becoming more common. And then these weird, very, very large, hairy, space wolf-looking guys would pop up with them and fight against the demons. And they looked like they were space wolves. And so, like, some of the wolf lords would, like, hurry to where these these wolfen had shown up and basically, like, okay, let's gather all these guys up. Don't let any, don't let the Inquisition see them. This is, this <laughs> could look really bad. And then basically brought them in, like, are they really space wolves? Because the other thing was, they were wearing, like, their armor was the color of, because space wolves used to be, like, just, like, in the Heresy era, they were kind of, like, a medium gray. And now they've got kind of this light baby blue armor thing going on. But, so they're wearing, like, Heresy era armor, sort of. And what's left of it, what's left of it as they're not wearing full suits and they look Fenrisian and they actually brought them into like a hall of weapons and like the they weren't good with any of like the smaller chain swords or anything that was like scaled for space marine build. But there were these like large weapon, like large built weapons on the wall that like nobody had used in millennia. And like they immediately like that and walked over to it, picked it up and just started wielding it like like they'd known it the whole time. So it suggested that maybe Wolfen have shown up before in the history, but nobody seems to know. And the one person that's been alive that long, which is Bjorn the Fellhand, hasn't isn't talking. <laughs> but uh they've they've brought the Wolfen into the fold. Although the Wolfen also tend to have an effect on other space wolves in that they are likely to it, apparently, like once somebody's Canis Helix has fully expressed itself, as it were, it makes other space wolves nearby kind of go nuts too and get violent. It's like a really high pitched squeal that only the dog can hear. <laughs> sure, <laughs> but it's like so you have this. You know, it's a good thing that these are generally noble and honorable warriors because this would put them like because the the wolfen are. Damn near berserkers, like old school no, Viking they're, berserkers. They're berserkers. Yeah. And so it's like, it's a good thing that they're not really into keeping like lots of trophies and murdering people because that would look really bad. But, uh, <laughs> although they do keep lots of like wolf tail trophies and things like that, but at least they're not keeping human skulls around. So that's, that's yeah. good, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the great companies all have their own, uh, color markings. So, uh, you know, you can build different, uh, so like you know you can basically pick one and use that as your colors and it's basically just shoulder pad and like a little bit of knee pad art yeah the the um right shoulder is going to be what your role in the army is mm -hmm. um normally they use red colors for your standard troops yellow colors for your close combat ones gray for scouts and white for your guys in the back mm -hmm. and then your left shoulder pads what are the 12 grand great companies you're from right which, if you just get the upgrade sprues, it's going to be the um, Black Mains, which is the standard Space Wolf one. Yeah, it's like gen like the closest thing to quote-unquote generic Space Wolves would be Ragnar Black Mains, Grand Company, or Great Company. So, uh, which, fortunately, there's a character for him, un or there's a model for him. Fort unfortunately, it's an ancient model, and he looks tiny. 
<laughs> Maybe he'll get an upgrade. That would be nice. In that like would be a, nice. a week or two, they'll say, hey, we've got a new model. And like all of the other uh, Space Marine chapters, uh, the there have been Primaris Marines with, I'm assuming with the Canis Helix intact, rolled into them. So Yeah, the the story on how they got there was kind of like you said, instead of picking people from normal tribes, um, they were kind of just gifted here's Primaris. So they've already had all the genes already implanted in them. Mm-hmm. So the only trial the Primaris really have to do is go to Fenris and then do the thousand miles with just yourself trek. Okay. So they still have to they still go through it, just they're now they're going through as Primaris Space Marines instead just, of like normal yeah. guys. Yeah. And and it says only about half of them actually survive. Because Fenris is that <laughs> deadly of a place. Well, and you've got no supplies. It's just you. Yeah. So, like, it's a, it's still tough, even for, like, a fully vetted, like, super space marine. And uh, um, one of the wolf priests was hopeful that the Primaris would actually um, be the cure to the, the Canis oh. issue. Um, but that proved false when some of the Primaris started to um, wolf, wolf out. out as well. So Yeah. Just like the the Blood Angels kept hoping that the uh, Primaris would be the cure to the the Black Rage, and n- mm. the, the the Red Thirst and the Black Rage are still start. I don't think any Primaris have fallen to the Black Rage, but they're starting to manifest the Red Thirst. So apparently, whatever it is that has mutated these these various chapters breeds true, and is locked <laughs> deep down into the genetic material that even Call uh, had access to over the last ten thousand years. So, yeah. but it is saying that the Primaris are still integrating in they're not they're seen as space wolves but they're not fully ingrained in all of their i guess culture. traditions and culture yeah, yeah. Be, because they didn't grow up on fenris right they're they're they are outsiders and they're they're raised very much along the codex astartes line so they have you know they're they have you know they're not mixed units because if one if there's one thing space wolves do it is mixed units very much so because they're used to merging in like terminators as as leaders yeah they'll, they'll like to tack on a wolf guard battle leader onto just about any squad they can right uh, so this is something that you know that that culture is not something that the like intercessors reavers inceptors they they are still very much playing like normal space marines there and it makes me sad yeah. <laughs> but give them time. They'll work in. They'll figure out a, a way to adapt. So, yeah, these Space Wolves, these have it. They do have a very distinct look. They have a very distinct culture. They don't They don't look like quite any other Space Marine. And um, they have access to stuff that, like, really – and, I'm you know, I'm joking about, like, well, I hope you like wolves. But that is – I mean, they play up that theme completely. And some of their best units are very wolf-based. But uh, they also are really big on – personal combat and proving themselves and they've worked that into the way the army is intended to play um so i'm going to jump to the end of the end of the section really quick so as we talked earlier in part one about uh like benefits for mono mono build armies and, and like you get this benefit for a detachment um space wolves their detachment bonus is the hunter's unleashed rule and this is on page 134 uh, and that's it. Basically, if you are a, you know, armies, battle forge, troops, units in space wolves detachment get object secured. In addition, infantry, biker, cavalry, and dreadnought units other than servitors in space wolves detachments also gain this ability. Any turn in which a unit with this ability made a charge, was charged, 
or made a heroic intervention, you can add one to its hit rolls in the fight phase. In addition, characters with this ability can perform heroic interventions if, after the enemy has completed all their charge moves, there are any enemy units within six inches of them, and they move up to six inches. So instead of a three-inch bubble of heroic intervention, they can go up to six. So this is definitely an army that is, again, much like Blood Angels, is geared towards close combat. How well does it work in practice? Um, that remains to be seen. We haven't had much of a chance to play with this yet, as it we just got access to it recently. But uh, one thing you will note is they don't have access to some of the things that Blood Angels have that allow them to be a really solid assault, assault army in certain builds. But we'll get to that in a second. So... Um, the main thing you're going to notice about this army is probably more than any other army. As I mentioned, there's a lot of focus on leaders and, and individual heroes. Um, this book has lots of HQs and elites. Lots and lots of... What was the count that you found, Dennis? It was 16 pages, but I think that was also, as I said before, they might have one version, like a wolf priest. You also have wolf priest and terminator armor, and then primaris wolf priest. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's three or four. Yeah, a couple versions. of the characters yeah. even, like, named characters, like, start off, which is like... Oh, yeah, they're, they're, two of the characters have two different yeah, profiles. Like their Grandmaster, uh, the Great Wolf, Logan Grimnar, uh, their chapter master, has two versions. One is just him, and one is him on his magic Santa sleigh. Which we've made fun of in the past. We'll have to see if it's better now. Well... One thing that definitely improved is that his armor save got better in the Santa sleigh. He had dropped from a two up to a three up for no clear reason. They've, they have fixed that. But, uh, he is, I mean, he's a pretty standard chapter master, you know, units within six, space wolf units within six inches of him reroll hit rolls. He's automatically starts out in Terminator armor so he can teleport strike in. He's got a really nasty close combat axe, the axe Morkai, which, uh, is basically like a super power fist kind of, you know, weapon-wise. He can either do it one-handed, which is strength six, AP minus three, D3 damage, or two-handed strength eight, AP minus three, three damage, minus one to hit. But he's hitting on twos already, so that will also be countered by if he charges, was charged to heroically intervene. So mm-hmm. he's really never hitting on worse than a two-up, ever, unless there's some other penalty being applied. And when he's on his sleigh, he has more wounds, which now means he can't be hidden. But he also has... More toughness? More toughness, because he goes from tough four to tough six. And he also has, after he attacks, the wolves that are pulling his magic sleigh also attack. And that and the movement are the only things that degrade. Right. So uh, at full strength, it's six additional attacks at strength five AP minus one, one damage each. Also, he can re- on the sleigh, he can reroll failed charge rolls. Yeah, I think having the wolves have extra attacks, having the toughness there, and reroll charge rolls, I'm actually starting to like him on the sleigh. Yeah. and in- the- Unless I was going to deep strike him with some Terminators. Right, and the sleigh is only like 20 points more. Ooh. Yeah, because uh, he is 170 by himself, 190 on Stormrider. That 20 points is totally worth it. <laughs> the downside is that he can't be hidden. He's a big enough target that you can pick him out. The sleigh is really big enough anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, like rules-wise. I know, I know. Now, there's a second downside. What's that? I don't own a sleigh. Oh, well, okay, there is that. Kitbash. <laughs> no, I don't know how well you could kitbash something like that. We're coming up We're coming up on Christmas. I get, bet you can go to Michael's and get a Santa Claus sleigh. And- <laughs> no. <laughs> no. 
We, as long as it's as long as it's the same dimensions, then you're you should be allowed to use it. No, <laughs> it's out there and it looks fine, even though we make fun of it. Yeah, no, it. I think it was just like weird—a sled pulled by wolves. wolves. It's it was it's so ridiculously space wolfy over the top, <laughs> and yet somehow it actually makes sense. But no, well, he, and it came out the same time that the Slanesh chariots came out because they was a big push for here's chariots, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the chariot thing is gone now, but no, uh, they're still around. Well, I mean, the, <laughs> like special rules for chariots right, and right. things like that. It's just another thing. Again, unified rules. One of the things I like. Yeah, don't miss chariots. No, no. <laughs> Although, hey, the Necron chariot's actually pretty decent now that it's it's a it's a nine wound character. Yeah. No, I've faced it and it's really hard to kill. I don't like it. <laughs> That's exactly why it's so good. <laughs> the, the the being targetable does, but then he also has a two up four up save and six toughness in the sleigh. Yeah, six toughness is pretty good. Six toughness is good, but like heavy weapons like last cannons, things like that will be a problem. So you charge them first. Yeah, and that's what you really no, and that's what you really have to hope to. This is an army that needs to get up in your face fast. Fortunately, I think unlike some other armies, this army, the things that are charging you tend to have enough wounds that they can they can absorb some fire and they will probably get to and you. And they've got decent armor too. Yes. So, I mean, um again, lots of characters, lots of named characters. But the named characters they, I feel like they all got better. Mm-hmm. Cuz Arjack Rockfist is the next one which I only bought him a while ago. In fact, I actually bought him while we were recording a show. Yeah. Because when you pointed out, hey, there's a, this formation that you like, that they've got the whole thing on Games Workshop thing for a pretty good deal. Yeah. And and so I bought him for that formation. And, and we are saying better compared to their 7th edition version. Correct. Eighth, well, most of these characters have not changed much between Index. Uh, I did. I kind of went through them, and there's a few power level and point drops. And I, I think the fact that a lot of the characters have dropped in points is good. Because, again, that's kind of the focus of this army. This is an army where you're going to probably take a Supreme Command detachment. You're going to have to. You Just need to, one. to get the most out of it. Because then Bjorn, i, I got to call him out because he's... Oh, uh, Bjorn the Fellhand is awesome. He's one of the best. For one thing, he's one of the, if not the only, named Dreadnought character. Yeah. Yeah, I short, don't... Short of that that one that came in the, the Death Storm box. Uh, yeah, but even, yeah, yeah. Well, is, is, is Murderfang named? Uh, Murderfang is named, but yeah, so Murder, the Space Wolves have like the only two named, <laughs> I mean, they, they really do have the only named. But that, that goes along with them kind of trying to weave a tale of legend for themselves. Because they yeah. want to become legends, and some of them are so legendary, they put them in dreadnoughts, and even those dreadnoughts became legendary. Yeah. And as we mentioned, Bure the Feld handed, his claim to fame is that he fought with Russ. Like, he is from the Horus Heresy era. He's 10,000 years old. And he's still, he's old and cranky and still helps lead the Space Wolves from time to time. To the point where he gives you extra command points if he's, just if he's in your army. He doesn't even have to be your warlord. It's just, if he's in your army, you get an extra command point. He can, he shrugs off wounds on a five up. And he also, the one thing they did add to him, he can explode now. When he dies, he can explode. They, that was something over the index. See, and I still remember the day when he actually, like, gave up a victory point if he died. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. that, those days are gone. Well, I'm so glad those days were gone. No one used him because of that one rule. But one cool thing is, like, m- like, most dreadnoughts, you actually have options in how you equip him, which is very unusual for ca- for named characters. But I mean, he can have pretty much like 
He's always got True Claw, which is his close combat weapon, and a heavy flamer, but then his other arm can, like, he starts with an assault cannon, but it can be a Hellfrost cannon, a heavy plasma cannon, or twin Laz cannon. I'd pick Hellfrost, because it's, one, unique to Space Wolves, and two, it's pretty good. Yeah, so, uh, health, like, the Hellfrost cannon, there are other Hellfrost weapons we'll see. But when attacking with this weapon, you it's got a multi-profile thing, but in general, if a model suffers any unsaved wounds from this weapon but is not slain, roll a d6. On the 6, target suffers a mortal wound. So, they have ways to distribute mortal wounds occasionally on top of, like, psychic powers and stuff. Fortunately, this is an army that also has lots of psychic, uh, lots of psychic capability, including uh, named a named psyker with a couple of forms. Who's up next? Uh, Nyal Stormcaller, who is uh, their, basically, head, um, Rune Priest, which is their equivalent of Librarians. He's got two forms. Uh, one is basically, do you want him in Terminator armor or not? And the, the main difference there is how good his save is and how much you want to... Like, his armor save's always two up. It just depends on how good you want his invulnerable save to be five up or four up. Um, and if you want to be able to teleport him in. Also, if you want the cool-looking model or the super old one. Well, I mean, at this point, they're both old models. <laughs> yeah, That's also one true. Is aged, one is aged so much better than that the is, other. That is true. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, he's he's pretty standard for like a head librarian type. He knows three psychic powers. He can cast cast two, deny two, and then he adds one to deny wit to not that one to deny the witch tests you take for him, and he can also add one to any psychic tests you make for him. So he's a pretty capable psyker. But you know, rune priests are also a cheaper alternative that is just as viable. They're just you know they don't know as many psychic powers, but and you have to pay for their upgrades. Like- you d- yeah, you do. And they also have access, you know, there's Rune Priests and Terminator Armor, regular Rune Priests, Primaris Rune Priests, which is basically Primaris Liparian with a few fo- few wolf tails stapled on. Well, I- I'll use glue instead of staples. Well, yeah, that probably work better if you if you don't staple them to the model. Ulrich the Slayer, which is their wolf priest. Uh, space wolves are interesting in that their apothecaries and chaplains are all rolled into one. Like, they have the same healing ability as apothecaries. They provide their... Uh, leadership and reroll failed hit rolls, just like chaplains do. Ulrich also has the benefit of uh, if he kills a character or monster, then for the rest of the game, space wolves within six inches of him also get plus one to wound, which also means you have to send him out and and do the killing. I do find that interesting. What's that? The the, the Slayer's Oath almost sounds like a, uh, what they intend sagas to maybe become. Yeah. Uh, okay, so yeah, we'll get to that when we'll we get, get to, to that when we get to Warlord traits because the Warhammer community site is full of dirty lies. No surprises. Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, maybe not dirty lies, but unforced errors. How about that? I like n- neat surprises that I hope are true. <laughs> yeah. And again, you've got Wolf Priests in named format: Terminator, Regular, and Primaris. Let's see. Then we then we get into named uh, yeah, wolf lords. Just three of the named wolf lords of the other companies. Yeah. So you've got Ragnar Blackmane, which, as we mentioned, has an ancient tiny model. <laughs> Although he's actually kind of cool um, in that he can actually take a couple of uh, Fenrisian wolves with him just as add-ons to his unit, which don't count for morale. So if they die, you don't have to worry about him running away. <laughs> which, <laughs> you know, which is good. Which yeah, is that's good. very good. Yeah. Uh, you can re-roll failed charge rolls for units within six inches of him, which means he also re-rolls failed charges. You re-roll hit rolls of one because he's a basically a captain. 
And uh, he's got insane bravado. Also, he gets D3 extra attacks when he does heroic intervention. Oh, my gosh. Which, I feel- with that six inch, though. Yeah. Yeah, no. Ragnar is pretty solid. He he was just okay in the past. Now, I, I might have to go try and find the tiny model. Yeah. and Please, please update his model. Yeah. and Or kit bash one. I guess I could do that. Yeah. Uh, five attacks. And his melee weapon is a plus one strength, minus four AP, two damage chain sword. Well, I mean, it doesn't have the chainsword ability, but, but, you know, AP minus four. I mean, if he hits you and you don't have an invuln save, you're going to die. No, Terminators. Yeah. They'd go to a six. They'd go to a six, yeah. <laughs> and then they'd take their invuln save. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, he, he's actually a pretty solid, solid choice if you want to go with a named character. Crumb Dragon Gaze, who was from the, uh, Stormclaw, Stormclaw which is, he's now available on his own. I think he's, I want to say he was, in some other box that they did recently, but uh, I think you can buy him on his own now. Right, which is really kind of... I, I seem to recall he was also in the Index. Yes, yes he, was. he was. Yeah, Which makes me more mad that the the Orc War Boss that was in that same box <laughs> yeah. didn't... didn't, didn't, didn't he's, just he's just generic War Boss. He's just generic War Boss now. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Maybe he'll get a write-up in the Codex. I hope he gets a, a Codex. He should. Or a scroll. He should. And then Harold Death Wolf, which is if you want to name uh, Wolf Lord on a on a Thunder Wolf, who his big thing is he buffs buffs wolves around him because uh, well I should say Thunder Wolves, Fenrisian Wolves, and Cyber Wolves within six inches of him he can use his leadership, which is important because Fenrisian Wolves and Cyber Wolves are like leadership four and six respectively, so using his leadership of nine helps. Uh, and he is small enough that he can't be targeted, so you can actually screen him with wolves. And be pretty effective. You also add one to any saving throws, except when you're using his invuln save, uh, to, for him against shooting attacks. So anything that is like small arms fire that won't require him to take his invuln, he's pretty much going to shrug off on a two. And he can outflank. And he can outflank because you can have him expert hunt. Yep. Expert hunt. He pops up within 12 inches of any battlefield edge, more than nine inches away from any, any, any enemy models. And I don't know the why you do that unless you had other people around him, because I don't think he confers that to anybody else. No, it, it it is just him. But there are also stratagems that will let you deep strike people in. Then that would be it. Yep. And he's got a and he has a storm shield and a Hellfrost power axe. So he's yeah, he, and you know he's on a Thunderwolf, so he's got ten movement, and so he's he's pretty solid. And then you get into Wolf Lord, which is Space Marine Captain. With access to Thunderwolf, Terminator armor, Catafragic uh, armor, yeah, yeah, Catafragic armor. Sorry, yeah, they they put in all the uh, all the marks of Terminator armor, or you can give him a jump pack. You can, yeah, or, or you the, can put him on a Thunderwolf or a Primaris or the Wolf Lord Primaris Wolf Lord in Gravis armor. Yes, they Ooh. have they have all the options for for making Wolf Lord. So if you haven't seen somebody that has the, or if, if it's a slightly cheaper to build a character that you want. You totally have lots of options for doing that. So that's actually really cool to have available. Uh, and then Canis Wolfborn, who is not a wolf lord. He is just a wolf guard. His uh, his thing is that he can reroll failed charges because he's an alpha predator. And uh, you can also uh, make extra attacks. Anybody using crushing teeth and claws or teeth and claws or crushing teeth and claws, which is wolves, Fenrisian wolves, cyber wolves, thunder wolves. They get extra attacks if they're within six inches of him at the start of the fight phase. 
that's actually kind of cool. Canis Wolfborn running along with Harold Death. Fo- oh yeah, with Harold Death Deathwolf could be a really nasty combo. Having Canis buffing up Harold Harold Deathwolf's Thunderwolf would be pretty good. Um, then you get Wolfguard battle leaders, which are basically um, lieutenants. Yeah. They used to be like the cheap option for leaders, and they still are. They're basically the cheapest HQs you have in here. Um, you've got Iron Priests, which are their tech marines. Hey, no, he only has one profile. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't, if you're a, if you're a recent li- if you're a recently new listener, uh, Thunder or when they first added the new Iron Priest model, um, that was in the uh, the Curse of the Wolfen book way back a couple of years ago. The, at that point, Iron Priests had been an elite. Yeah. And then this was the HQ option, and both data sheets existed at the same time. And Games Workshop, Games Workshop basically said, "Use whichever one you want," which was not a satisfactory answer. So now it is just an HQ, and there was much rejoicing. Yeah. And again, this is an army. I'm going to say it again: Supreme Command Detachment. It will be your friend because there are a ton of characters to choose from. And now we get into troops. I'm, they have more troops now. Yes, cool, because they have intercessors. That's the main addition. Yeah, that's the only addition. Yeah. Uh, like I said, there are blood claws, which are your young, hot-headed space wolves. They are pretty much all equipped for close combat pistols and pistols and close combat weapons all around. They can be in squads of up to what fifteen. Yep, and then. Like a lot of the Space Wolf units, you can tack on. So you don't replace one of the models. You add a um, Wolf Guard pack leader, either regular or in Terminator armor. Right. And uh, the reason that's important is because Blood Claws have an ability, or they have a rule called Headstrong. Head, if they are not within six inches of a Wolf Guard or they don't have one of these Wolf Guard tacked onto their unit, they have to charge if they can. Which generally you'll want to, but there may be times when you want, when you don't want to them. Maybe you, they are on an objective and you need them to stay on the objective rather than get pulled off of it because that guy over there got too close and they want to run at him. Now granted, if they do, they'll probably do, a, they'll probably hurt really bad because they do extra attacks on the turns that they charge. So they are wanting to run at things and charge them. So. Uh, if you want to do uh, close combat troops, this is the cheapest option you have. Yeah, they are probably... And, and they're good at it. They're good at it. They're weapon skill 3, they're ballistic skill 4, because that's their their like their inexperienced side. Is they're not as good at shooting, but they're just as good at close combat. And remember, if they're charging, they're also plus 1 to hit. So they're going to be hitting on 2s. They're going to have extra attacks. If they're using chainswords, they'll have extra attacks again. You can get a, a buttload of attacks out of these guys and put a hurt on something. And they're the same cost as the next troop option, which is Grey Hunters, which are your more traditional tactical marine style. Very well-rounded. Very well-rounded, up to 10 models, plus if you tack on a Wolf Guard. You don't really need to tack on a Wolf Guard for these guys. I mean, the benefit you get is you could put a Terminator in with the unit. But as is, I think they're, I mean, they're a perfectly serviceable troop choice. I think once upon a time, you could take two close combat weapons with, or two special weapons. Now it's, it's only one per five. They are just the same as attack squad pretty much, except they can't combat squad, which is something this army does not have access to is combat squatting. They tend to stay in whatever groups that you put them in. Uh, oh, and they can take wolf, a wolf standard, which allows them to reroll die rolls of one when advancing or charging. Okay. That is actually useful. Yeah. It's not as good as a reroll, but it's still... Well, and also the fact that it counts on advancing, too. So if yeah. you need to get them to a point... Again, like, if I need to get them to an objective, 
the fact that I'm only going to get two through six, I can, I can, like, if I need to get eight inches, I can guarantee I'll get there. That's, that's really useful. Or re-rolling die rolls of one, which means you'll never chart, you'll never fail a charge by rolling snake eyes, cause you'll, all, unless you re-roll snake eyes again. And then finally, intercessors, which are intercessors. They are stock Primaris intercessors. They're just like everybody else's intercessors. Yeah, and that, that's the only thing my gripe about is they are stock. They're the same as the Death Watch ones. They're the same as the Ultramarine ones. They're the same as Blood. I mean, they're just the same. And I kind of wish you could have a Wolf Guard tacked onto them to make them kind of feel in the fold more. Right. And maybe we'll get that eventually. But yeah, for right now, th- they are in a weird spot. They're more expensive than the other other choices. But again, the extra wound is nice. The extra range on their bolt rifles is nice. So they definitely, I think they definitely have a place depending on what you want to do with the army. Um, wolf scouts. We talked about wolf scouts. These are the oldest, most experienced space wolves uh, and their big thing is behind enemy lines during deployment. You set them up behind enemy lines and at the end of any of your movement phases, they can be set up within six inches of any battle edge and or battlefield edge and you know more than nine inches away from an enemy model. So they can pop up anywhere and they carry they can carry pretty much all the kinds of weapons that uh scouts can have. So they have access to sniper rifles and camo cloaks. They can take heavy bolters, missile launchers, shotguns. They have the tools to do things and and pop up places. So you can really like your opponent has to realize that with space wolves, there's nowhere on the board that's really safe from you because you have lots of ways to get onto particular table edges. So it's either going to require your opponent to play back towards like the edge of their table to guard it or or just accept that there are parts of the field that you can come in and and get them at. Uh, Reavers are Reavers. I think I think Reavers are probably the better Primaris because they are a more close combat focused for this army, yes. Yeah, I think Reavers are a really good choice. Plus, the the minus one leadership penalty that they can apply can be really useful too. And the, they're your group unit that can like ignore terrain, so to speak, but right? Heights. Yeah. So no, I think Reavers are a really good choice for this army as an elite choice. Uh, aggressors are actually a new edition. They didn't have access to these in the index. Well, they weren't. Uh, they out may, then. <laughs> well, they may have added them in one of the errata, but as the index was printed, they weren't they weren't available. But so. They have access to aggressors, which are they aren't exactly an assault unit, although they have effectively power fists. So um, they're not not a bad choice. They're a little bit slower, and I think Terminators kind of suffer in this army because they do move slowly. And you, this is an army that needs to be moving. That you know, most of your elements are going to be moving up quickly. I mean, Terminators used to get by by either having deep striking or, and well, not deep striking. They just used drop prods because they didn't like to go through the warp and deep striking. Right. Um. But yeah, once they were on the table, then they were kind of just stuck there, and that's what I think the aggressors kind of. Now, aggressors do at least have the ability to advance and fire without penalty, so that that helps. That does allow them to keep moving, and then if they do stand still, they get to fire fire twice which is can also be useful so uh there again i think there's definitely a space for them in here um now we're getting into more name stuff lucas the trickster who is always kind of fun he's basically a blood claw he hero character and uh his big thing is um besides you know allowing blood claws to reroll wounds of one he applies a leadership penalty and if you kill him both players roll in off. In the fight phase. Yeah, if he dies in the fight phase. If you shoot him, nothing happens. But if you, he's in the fight phase with you and you kill him, you roll off. And if Lucas's player rolls higher, you take D6 mortal wounds as the stasis bomb implanted in his chest goes off. Which, not as cool as the ability it used to be, which is like, if you kill Lucas, 
you just both you both go away. Oh, and uh, any attacks that hit him and the target him in the fight phase are also minus one to hit. So you're less likely to hit him. But if you do manage to hit him and kill him, he might take part of you with him. Uh, Wolf and Dreadnought. Uh, this is a new addition. Yeah, I say this sounds brand new. Yeah, this is brand new. Now it's it's an it's an older Space Wolf model. It's when they they redid the Space Wolf Venerable Dreadnought kit a while back that made they re, it made a new Bjorn. It made a Murder Fang, who we'll get to in a bit, and it also added gave Space Wolves the option to have a an axe and shield or claw and shield or axe and claw as close combat weapons on a Dreadnought. What what are you getting? I'm not getting it. Okay. Because Dennis has one, but the uh, yeah, I think I, I pilfered things from that box that were the extra things from Bjorn to kind of kit out two other yeah, because because the, the arm the arms they give you enough arms in there to be able to do everything uh, do everything, but yeah, so it imagine a dreadnought with a giant axe and a giant storm shield, which strangely enough does not give you an invuln save as good as a storm shield, but then you are much bigger and that thing only covers a little bit of your body. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> And because it's it's Space Wolfie, it's named the Blizzard Shield. Yes, it is a Blizzard Shield because it must be Snow and Frost and, and Death. Or Snow and Frost and Wolf and Claw. But the Blizzard Shield gives him a 4-up invuln save, which he doesn't get that by stock, but you trade out the Claw for the Shield. Totally worth it, I think. Uh, his axe is plus 4 strength, AP minus 3, D6 damage, minus 1 to hit. But again, minus 1 to hit is not a big problem as long as you're charging. Or he can scythe with it, which is he gets two attacks per instead of one, and it's strength user, which is still strength six, AP minus three, one damage. So he can deal with with infantry and single targets equally well. Uh, he's got four attacks base, and he can reroll failed charges. So yeah, he's at a really he's a really decent close combat choice. Uh, let's see. Then you get ancients, which are just your banner carriers. They are pretty much the same as every other banner. They let somebody who dies possibly act before dying on a four up. Uh, wolf guard, which are basically their elite, you know, like stern guard veteran type, except they don't have the special ammo types, but they're just elite. This is also where your terminators come in, dreadnoughts, cataphracty terminators, tartarus terminators. They, they basically they have access to all the same marks of stuff. Uh, their Venerable Dreadnought is a lot like other Venerable Dreads, although their Venerable Dreads can also be equipped with Great Axes and Blizzard Shields or Great Wolf Claws. So uh, they get access to the Contemptor Dreadnought, which, yay, doesn't is okay. Um, the, they have access to the Redemptor, which is a very shooty Dreadnought. And it's also in Tooth and Claw. Yes, you get one of those in Tooth and Claw. So Tooth and Claws, they're really, they're like, hey, here's more, more Primera stuff. Get more Primera stuff into your Space Wolves. And then we get to Wolfen. And I think Wolfen is one of the most... Im- Wolfen and Thunderwolf Cavalry, who we'll get to in a bit, are probably the most important units in this book, I think. Probably. I mean... I mean, we, we've covered... The characters are obviously very important. We've talked about them as well. Uh, but the Wolfen themselves, uh, for one thing, seven inches of movement, two wounds apiece, um, five strength. You know, they're... They... And then, like, Three attacks base, four for their pack leader, who you always get a pack leader. So just stock a unit of five is putting out uh, 16 attacks. Or let's see, if they're using Frost Claws, they can make additional attacks. So yeah, even their base attacks are AP minus one. So I mean, they're, they already can put a hurt in close combat. Um, they can advance and charge in the same turn. So you have to figure on average, 
they're going to move 10 inches. You should always be advancing with this unit if you're not in close combat because you need to get into close combat. So figure they're moving, you know, moving uh, like nine, 10 inches. They're charging. Um, they have, they also have two aura abilities. The first one is Curse of the Wolf and Hunt. Uh, Space Wolves infantry, bikers, and cavalry units within six inches, which these are Space Wolf infantry, uh, can reroll failed charge rolls. And if it's a, if it affects blood claws within 12 inches. So a, you can already see a blood claw wolfen combo army will be getting into charges regularly. And because this affects the wolfen, they will be rerolling their failed charges. And then there's Curse of the Wolf and Kill. Uh, Sp- Space Wolf Infantry, Bikers, Cavalry units within 6 inches, Blood Claws within 12 inches, get an additional attack when the- when they fight in the fight phase. Uh, this does not affect Wolfen. So Wolfen can never, they never get the extra attack. And any units that made their charge, they don't get this on the turn they charged if they were affected by the Curse of the Wolf and Hunt ability. So, once you're stuck in combat, you get more attacks because you want to kill things as long as there are wolfen nearby. So again, once those blood claws are in, they're, and they are, and I think that's one of the other reasons why I won't, I mean, blood claws already get an additional attack normally because they're berserk charge. So keeping wolfen near the blood claws is going to be super good. Um, and then we get Murder Fang, the other named dreadnought, who is basically a wolfen dreadnought, although he doesn't have the wolfen dreadnought trait. So he rerolls failed cha- failed charges. In addition, in a turn in which he charges, he gains two attacks, which gets him up to seven attacks. And he's armed with giant frost claws, which are make strength twelve, AP minus three, three damage. Reroll failed wound rolls. So you put him or a, like him or a wolf and dreadnought up against like a knight. The knight's gonna have a bad time. Like Murderfang, he's hitting on twos. He's wounding the knight on threes. Um, the knight's only going to be able to save on sixes, and every one of his attacks that gets through does three damage. It won't be enough to kill the knight, but it'll damn near cripple it. The We figured the uh, wolf and dreadnought could actually theoretically kill a knight. Not likely, but... Not likely. But again, crip, could easily cripple Cri- a knight. Cripple, yes. If the knight's already taken a bit of damage from shooting, the knights could be in really bad shape. Um, sky claws. Take a blood claw. Strap a jetpack to it. <laughs> you have a sky claw. Pretty much. And they have all the same, the Berserk Charge and head Headstrong rules. And they have the Blood Claw trait. So, again, they'll key off of the, the whole Wolfen thing. Swift Claws. Take a Blood Claw, strap into a bike. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Um, and we compared this with Thunderwolf Cav, which we'll get to in a second. Um, the main difference between Blood Claws, like Swift Claws and Thunderwolf Cav, besides the fact that the Swift Claws have to charge anything that they can unless there's a wolf guard on a bike is that they don't get the benefit of the bikes also attacking which thunder wolves get to also attack with their mounts but the trade-off is the bikes have shooting the bikes do have shooting and these are, and are also a bit cheaper and more movement and 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 more movement yeah so swift claws are like in previous editions swift claws were like why would you now it's like if you wanted a really fast space wolf army i could totally see why you would I mean, the only downside is, since there are blood claws, you'd want to try and key Wolfen off them, too, but they will easily outpace Wolfen. Oh, yeah. Although, if the Swift Claws get into close combat, and then the Wolfen come up behind, and the Swift Claws are still stuck in somehow, they would get the benefit of Curse of the Wolfen kill, because they didn't enough. make a charge. Uh, but the, also, the other downside is, it's, like, by base, they are three bikes per unit, so bare 
bare minimum, they probably won't have enough bodies to stick into a combat unless they just dominate. Um, land speeders, inceptors, pretty much strand, you know, pretty much standard. Uh, but let's get to Thunderwolf Cavalry. This is like the other, like besides Wolfen, this is the big close, co- you know, the big assault unit for this army, as in like big model. Uh, Thunderwolf Cavalry are, you know, three wounds each, tough five, ten inches of movement, so they can they can get to where they're going. They can weather Overwatch. Um, they can take storm shields, or you can have one guy up front with a storm shield to kind of tank hits for you, which can be very effective. Actually, it doesn't even have to be up front. It could just be anywhere in the unit and just have that guy start taking wounds first. And their big benefit is once they've done their close combat attacks with like chain sword or pal- or you know whatever melee weapon you want to have on them, then the mounts get to attack with their with three strength five AP minus one D one da- attacks. So. Uh, you can charge them into a unit of infantry and they'll have enough attacks to actually put a hurt on whatever's there. But you can also equip them to be very solid against close, you know, against single targets. So there, it's a very flexible unit. They're expensive. You don't get a lot of bodies against like a pack leader and two Thunderwolf Cav. You can, you can pump up the unit size a bit, but they're Not much to like six total to six. I think you're almost better running like two smaller units so you yeah. can layer assaults and things like that. Although again, these guys can actually weather a little bit of overwatch because that tough five makes a big difference on of the hits that get made. Not nearly as many of them are going to wound and you still have three up armor. You can get a three up invuln. They're, they're a really solid choice. And there's a reason why the get started box still has like a unit of three in there because it's really good. <laughs> yeah, and this is a case where, like, I I would see picking up again, still two of the start collecting boxes, make make a wolf lord on a thunder wolf, build a unit of thunder wolves, and then in this case, I might actually like depending on if I want to have shooting or assault, I could actually see doing like gray uh, blood claws out of the the units in there rather than like once upon a time you never took blood claws. Now they're actually a viable option depending on what you want to build. Uh, Wolf Scout Bikers, which is a new addition to the Codex. They couldn't take Wolf Scouts on bikes anymore. And these are bikes that can pop up behind enemy lines. So uh, that is actually a really cool option to have. Okay. They have 16 inches of movement. Yes. That's more than the other bikes. Yeah, the other bikes are only 14. Yeah. yeah, Wolf Scout Bikers can hustle. I guess they're experienced. Yes, they are. And they, you know, and they can turbo boost also, so they can move 22 inches in a turn. So if you need to get somewhere, Space Wolf or Wolf Scout Bikers will get you there. Oh, and also we forgot to mention Fenrisian Wolves and Cyber Wolves, which are probably the cheapest options. Uh, Fenrisian Wolves are basically assault chaff. No, I mean, they're there, but they are a great choice if you want something that can just screen a character, like a character on a Thunder Wolf, because they can keep up with them. They're movement 10. And they can just keep you... So you can run that character ahead and have something to keep him from getting shot at. Or, or like you said, if you needed a really cheap Vanguard detachment, take three Cyberwolves. <laughs> well, or uh, Outrider in this case. They're Outrider, all, sorry. They're all fast attack. Yeah, you can take individual Cyberwolves at, at PL1. But the cool thing on Cyberwolves, uh, because the unit can get up to five, Cyberwolves can also reroll failed charges. Again, very cheap unit you can throw in. And... An outrider of this with like a wolf guard on a wolf or wolf lord on a thunder wolf and some cyber wolves. Not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, all the, the cyber wolves and Fenrisian wolves will harass people until you get your characters and bigger wolves up there. Yep. Uh, long fangs, which are their devastator squads, they are 
I mean, pretty standard, although um, they had their fire disciplines kind of cool. You pick a unit at the start of each turn and you reroll hit rolls of one for any models from the unit targeting that, which makes plasma cannons. A, a, you can supercharge plasma cannons and have that being a safer choice. And you don't have to have a character nearby to do it. They just do that because they are old, old, knowledgeable, experienced space wolves. And the other still nice thing is they get to have a wolf guard with them as well. So you can put a Terminator there and have them tank yep. all the hits that come your way. Yep, absolutely. And drop, can they still take the Cyclone Missile Launcher? Uh, they can take a Terminator Heavy Weapon, which I believe gives them access to that. I have to look at the list at the beginning. That Terminator a, Heavy a Weapons, fairly, Cyclone Missile Launcher, and Stormbolter. Yep. A, a very common thing. Oh, yeah, because that's what I would do with mine, is I, I would have my four Heavy Weapons and then a Terminator with Cyclone Missiles. So, yeah, it used to be an upgrade for the unit, like just replace the Wolf Guard or the Pack Leader with the it was replace leader. a model. Is so it? you always pick the pack leader because the pack leader can't use a heavy weapon. Right. That's no longer the case. You you are you are just tacking somebody on. So you can't save points, but still worth it. Still worth it and worth it to get an like have an extra heavy weapon, like have an extra missile launcher thrown into the unit. And this is a good way to get a cyclone in a devastator squad. Yep. Uh hell blasters are the same as everyone else's hell blasters. Still a good choice as a heavy as heavy support, but they don't have... I think long fangs are actually a better choice. For long range, yes. If you want that mid-range stuff, Hellblasters still could Hellblasters, get Hellblasters, well, they, yeah, they still get work done, although you don't have access to the things that make, like, Dark Angels Hellblasters oh, really no, nasty. Yeah. That's the Dark Angel thing. That, that, yeah, that's their thing. Um, they gained access to the Hunter and Stalker tanks, which are the anti-flyer tanks that uh, spa- Space Marines have. Um, they have all the standard Land Raider... Patterns, rhinos, razorbacks, drop pods. They gained the land speeder storm, so your wolf scouts have something to ride in, and it can also pop up behind enemy lines. So you can have like a lot of wolf scout type stuff pop up on your opponent's back line. So again, nowhere on the table is safe, depending on how you build your space wolves. They have access to the repulsor because Primaris, and it is also st- still made of gun, just like everyone else's. I'm I'm going to do the two space wolf specific flyers last, but they did get access to the Stormhawk interceptor, so they have an anti flyer flyer now, which is nice. And then they have their two specific ones: the Stormfang gunship and the Stormwolf. This book did not help me at all. Why is that? I picked one of these up at Renegade, and I was going to wait till the Codex to decide what version I wanted to build because the model, the kit, can do both. Oh, yes, or either, I should say. Yeah. I still don't know which one I want. <laughs> so both of them are capable of carrying troops, but the uh, Stormfang can only carry six. But it trades off for ha- trades that off for having a giant Hellfrost weapon basically built into the front of it, which uh, is either twenty he- four inch heavy three d three strength six AP minus two two damage or heavy three strength eight AP minus four d six damage. And like all Hellfrost weapons, if you manage to not kill the guy. That you hit, uh, they roll a d or you roll a d six on a six. They take a mortal wound. I, I really like that interpretation of the rule, rather than being like a strength test. Yeah. Or, well, because the strength test didn't make sense for things like this, because this will affect vehicles. This will affect again unified rules. Love it. But in addition, it's got access to you know it comes with two twin heavy bolters, which can be replaced with multi meltas, and then two storm strike missile launchers can which can be replaced with las cannons. So you can really kit this thing out. Um, Stormstrike missile launchers are better ranged than the last cannons, but uh, less damage and less strength. Only by a little bit, though. 
And then multi-meltas or heavy bolters, it's really pick to taste what you want to go after. Do you want to go after infantry or vehicles? Uh, it has power of the machine spirit, so it can move and fire heavy weapons without penalty, which is good because everything on this is a heavy weapon. And it has to move. And it has to move because it is uh, supersonic. Yep. <laughs> well, no, it doesn't have to. It does have hover jets. You can drop it into oh, hover. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. So it can't. Now, it gives up the hard to hit. But uh, you don't, like, if you get into a position where this is not where I want to be and I don't want to fly off the board, you can drop it into hover mode and, like, flip it around. So that that is that is actually pretty handy. This all lets the people inside get out. Yes. Because this does not have any way to, like, drop them off while you're flying. Like, like uh, you can't grab shoot them out. And then there's the Storm Wolf, which is basically the transport equi- or the transport version of this, which has two LAS cannons, two... It's the same minus the big gun. It's minus the big gun. Well, and then it replaces... Well, it's, it's stock with two LAS cannons, two heavy bolters, and then a twin Hellfrost cannon, which is just a smaller, weaker version of the same big gun. Honestly, I th- it, can, it can't take the Stormstrike missiles. It's stuck with the... Uh, the it, it will just always have the LAS cannons, which is not necessarily bad. Um, the twin heavy bolters can be twin multi-meltas or a Skyhammer missile launcher, which is basically an autocannon that's all, is also better against flying targets. I think it really comes down to, do you want to transport or do you want, I mean, do you want something that's focused on transporting transport capability or do you want something with a really big gun on it? I still kind of like the storm wolf. Storm wolf is also the only thing that can transport your wolf in. Yes. So, I think right there, like if you're trying to choose between the two, that actually might... no, the, the the storm fang can, but but they count as two models, so right. you can't so you... fit a whole squad of wolfen in there, <laughs> right? You could fit a squad after they'd lost some, yeah. So, so yeah, you could put wolfen in the storm wolf, but you can also put terminators in the storm wolf, which is is handy. You can even have sky claws popping out of storm wolf because they can hold people with jump packs. I don't know why you would, but it's also got a transport capacity of sixteen, so it's like a flying land raider crusader. Yeah, or, or the other thing of why that number is important, 15 blood claws and a wolf guard. Yep, there you go. So, I mean, you could just fly up and dump those out. And then hopefully they're still in combat when the wolf can get up there. There you go. So, um, this is an army that has, I mean, unit-wise, they've got a lot of tools available. They have a few standout units that really say, hey, we are Space Wolves. This is the thing that sets us apart. And you can tell, like, all their all their special stuff is mostly focused on assault but like long fangs provide you know they've got the capability to have some decent long-range firepower as well so they're i mean they're they're actually they're surprisingly well-rounded for being an assault focused army um now it's time to get into stratagems because this is what's really going to set them apart it's what's it's actually what one of the things that makes blood angels really solid so let's take a look at what they've got here uh some of these are Standard orbital bombardment, kill shot, flak missile, those uh, wisdom of the ancients. Those are all recycled space marine ones. Trophies of, the F- of Fenris is their artifact slash relic stratagem. Overwhelming impetuosity, one command point. Uh, use it at the start of the fight phase. Select a blood claw unit from your army that successfully charged this turn, and it was within an inch of an enemy model or enemy unit with a higher power rating. You can reroll failed hit rolls for the blood claws units that attack the target enemy or that target that enemy unit. I I love it thematically. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. And your thing is like a a, a max out unit of blood claws is like power level twelve, I think, because they're power. Well, that's level true. Four the four times four times four. So you're four, four, four plus four plus four. four. Yeah, yeah. So that it's like twelve. So 
finding having them charge something that's going to be higher power power level than that might be tricky but i again thematically i love the idea for the the smaller unit if you just had like like a unit five or yeah yeah if you only had if you had a unit five that one would be a a fun one to play with cloaked by the storm use the stratagem in your psychic phase choose a rune priest from your army that successfully manifested a psychic power your opponent must subtract one from all hit rolls for range attacks that target friendly space wolves within six inches of the model until the beginning of your next psychic phase Okay, that's pretty darn cool, and it's probably worth the three CP it costs. Yeah, but that—that's the only downside of that one. The three CP is a huge chunk for a, for a one turn minus one penalty to hit. Yeah. Well, it's for all units within six that are within what? six inches of the rune priest, right? So if he's in, he's going to be blocking things, so get off a of power, summon your storm, make people harder to hit. But with, with three command points, that's I, I'd only want to use it if I needed to. Yeah. If there's two command points, I'd probably use it. I, th- a lot I think more two command point would be a much better sweet spot for it. Three, three seems like a, a huge chunk for what it does. Cunning of the wolf. This one is the one that makes anybody into a wolf scout. Use a stratagem during deployment when setting up a space wolf's infantry unit. You can set this unit up on the hunt instead of placing it on the battlefield. At the end of any movement phase, the unit can join the battle, set up within six inches of a table edge, nine in, you know, nine inches away from an enemy model. So that's only one CP. It's only one CP. So, hey, all your infantry units that need to outflank. You know, with the limit of you can only do half of it, half of your army. Oh, fair by enough, pa- yeah. You know. Let's see. Mentor's Guidance. Use the stratagem in your shooting phase or in the fight phase. Choose a Space Wolf's character other than a Wolf Priest within six inches of a Wolf Priest from your army. You can reroll all failed wound rolls for that character in this phase. That requires a couple of moving parts. At only one command point, it's it's not terrible, but it's like it, you have to build your army properly and have those two characters within proximity of each other during a phase when you're going to be doing attacks and damage. Now, granted, you'll have more characters in this army than you likely are in anybody else, so it's not impossible. It's just... just have to run a wolf priest. Yeah. And if you're going to run a wolf priest, you'll probably have him by character, another character, too. Right. Because you want the aura buffs for your troops as well. That is true. All right, next one is Lone Wolf, and this one is kind of a return of an old... Uh, of an oldie but a goodie, but in a very different way. Yeah, it used to be on a data sheet, and that, uh, that's how I kind of remember it. And, you and, could just and even in it. the index, it was still on, it, like you could take a lone wolf as a individual elite unit, right? And so now instead, it's it's no longer a unit. And we'll have to see if they come up with an FAQ or a rod that says kind of like what they did with the Tau Codex, which said you couldn't like with stim injectors, you couldn't take this piece of warrior anymore. We'll have to see if they say you can't take lone wolves anymore. Like the data sheet is considered invalid. Because the new stratagem is now, uh, for one command point, use the stratagem at the end of any phase if there's a Space Wolf infantry unit from your army other than a character, servitor, or wolfen that has been reduced to a single model. That model's wounds characteristic is increased by two, and it gains two wounds, so it actually gets the health with it. It gains the character keyword, and you can reroll failed hit and wound rolls for it for the remainder of the game. That's just pretty darn cool, because suddenly, like, if you someone has something that takes out of one of your units... You're down to one, you make him a lone wolf, suddenly he's a character and can hide behind others. And two, he's got more wounds, so he's more likely to survive. And three, those rerolls are going to be nice. Yeah. And the fact that it's it's any rerolls, hit wounds, wound rolls, so even in shooting, like, if that long fang unit somehow got reduced down to one guy, 
suddenly, hey, this that long, the guy with the last cannon back there, he is going to reroll hit wound rolls against you. Ow. He's pissed. <laughs> True. And, and One it's, last wolfen. Yep. <laughs> no, he can't do wolfen. Well, yeah. It's, okay. uh, and f- it's specific other than character, servitor, or wolfen. Oh, okay. I'm so sorry. But, um, God, that would be scary. <laughs> yeah. The lo- lone wolfen. <laughs> but the, the other trick of it, it, the squad has to be exactly one. If you're left with two, sorry. Yep. If you're at zero, well, then also sorry. <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> it probably won't come up very often. It'll be cool when it does, though. Yes. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Chooser of the slain, two command points. Use the stratagem immediately after your opponent sets up a unit that is arriving on the room. This is their interceptor. It has to be visible to a room priest within your army. You get to shoot at it. Or, you know, the unit, you shoot at it with a unit within six inches of the rune priest. It's the same thing Farseers. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. This is the exact same thing Farseers have. It's kind of lame. But it's cool that Space Wolves have it. Yeah. Space Wolves are probably the most psychically active other than, like, Grey Knights. Yes. So it makes... And they do, like, searching the runes and looking in the future. So it makes sense that they'd have something like that. Laugh in the face of death. Use the stratagem in a fight phase. Choose Space Wolves, infantry, biker, or cavalry unit from your army that is affected by an enemy's unit ability that modifies their leadership. You can reroll all failed hit rolls for the Space Wolves in the unit in that phase. <laughs> With the number of leadership penalties that are starting to show up, that will actually be, I think, more effective than people realize. I think Laugh in the Face of Death will come up from time to time. Yeah, definitely. Overwhelming Savagery. Use the stratagem in the fight phase. Choose a unit of Thunderwolf Cavalry from your army. You can reroll wound rolls of one for that unit this phase. Uh, it, when you need clutch yeah. clutch moments where you have to get wounds in, this will that'll be useful. Uh, only de- in Death Does Duty End. That's a reprint from Space Marines. Howl of the Great Pack. Two command points. Use the stratagem at the beginning of the morale phase. Choose a wolf lord from your army. Friendly space wolf units within 12 inches of the model automatically pass morale tests in the phase. And your opponent must add one to morale test taken by enemy units within 12 inches of the model in this phase. Okay, I really like this one. It's a great alternative to the pick a unit and you auto pass right. for two. Because you can auto pass anything within 12 inches of your wolf lord. And, and, and a 12-inch... Is radius bubble, bubble is a is a huge bubble. I really like that one. And then the also the fact that it applies a leadership penalty or morale penalty to your opponent as well within that same twelve inch bubble. That's huge, especially if you get into close combat. Yes, this is one of those cases where this this stuff like this kind of brings back that uh, risk reward of assault, where it's like I'm more likely to do the extra dam- the extra morale damage afterwards. Uh, True Grit. This one was in uh, chapter approved and was kind of lame compared to some of the other stuff that is available. And it basically lets, uh, you know, choose a unit of Space Wolves infantry in your shooting phase that is within an inch of an enemy unit. It lets them treat auto bolt rifles, bolt guns, bolt rifles, and bolt carbines as if they were pistol too, which does mean it covers Primaris. I think this will be really good for, potentially really good for Primaris, just because it means, like, somebody can charge your intercessors and you're not locked down from shooting. See, and I still see it good for any of the Space Wolf troop types. Well, maybe not Blood Calls, because I already have pistols. But even your Grey Hunters, suddenly, I even if I charge you, well, in the next turn, I can still shoot you and then attack you in the fight phase again. Yeah, true, true. So, yeah, it keeps your options open as far as, like, it, let, it lets you increase your wound output, which yes. is always always a good thing. Uh, seeking a saga, one command point. Use the stratagem at the beginning of the fight phase. Choose a space wolf character from your army that's within an inch of an enemy unit with a greater power rating. That seems to be a, a trend we're starting to see, targeting things that are bigger than yourself, which is a very space wolf thing to do. Right. 
Uh, you can reroll failed wound rolls for attacks made by that character against that enemy unit. Which, I mean, depending on what you're going after, I mean, like I can see Logan Grimnar going after like a, you know, something really like a PL 13, 14 thing. Magnus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm Perfect. coming for you. Perfect choice. Um, so yeah, that one I could see definitely being useful. Wolf Saw, use the stratagem in your shooting phase when a unit of long fangs from your army is chosen to make its attacks. Reroll either failed hit rolls or failed wound rolls for that unit this phase. That could be useful. That, yeah, I think that one you're definitely going to. It's when you need the clutch moment. Exactly. And that's perfect, perfect case for stratagems. Talismanic shields, uh, lets a character for one command point, lets a character deny a psychic powers if it were a psyker. I like it. That one's good. Uh, let's see. Armor of Contempt. That is a Space Marine reprint. Hellfire is the reprint. Yes, yeah, so it's Hellfire Shells. Living Storm. Use the stratagem. It's one command point. Use the stratagem in a Space Wolves. If a Space Wolves Psyker from your army is within six inches of at least two other friendly Space Wolves Psykers and manifests Living Lightning, when the power, whenever the power would inflict D3 mortal wounds, it infl- instead inflicts D6 mortal wounds. Kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, and, and you used to, ta- you were able to take um, three wolf pre- or rune priests in, the, in one HQ slot, so this kind of calls back to that. Yeah, slightly. you take a supreme command attachment of three rune priests, and you've got access to this effectively. As long as you keep them close. Right. Uh, data link telemetry, that's also a reprint. Keen senses, use the stratagem in your shooting phase, choose a space wolf unit from your army. That unit doesn't suffer any penalties to its hit roll this phase. What? Yeah. Can I be a Dark Reaper too? <laughs> yeah, only pretty. Three command points. <laughs> yeah. Now, this one's only one command point. Yeah. Yeah. Long Fangs with this are basically. That's fun. This is an assault army, but they've now got some of the deadliest shooting on the table between uh, Wolf's Eye and Keen Senses. Like, there's nothing. Safe. Your Flyer, not safe. Your, like, your Ally Talk Rangers that are more than 12 inches, not safe. Nothing is safe. From, from this army was shooting. Emperor's Executioners. We talked about I that like in the fluff phase, in the fluff section. I uh, use the stratagem when a Space Wolves unit from your army is chosen to attack in the fight phase. Each time you make a hit roll of four, four plus for a model in the unit during this phase, it can, if it was targeting a Thousand Suns unit, immediately make an extra attack against the same unit using the same weapon. These attacks cannot generate additional further attacks. So it's basically death to the fall or Death of the Heretic, or, you know. But it feels better. Yeah. Isn't that six ups? It's six ups. And but this is four ups. It's four ups, but this is because this, that isn't just, it's not just against Heretic Astartes. This is specifically against Thousand Sons. But that's because the job's not done yet. The Thousand <laughs> Sons aren't dead. Well, we're working on it. We're working on it, yeah. And then, uh, Honor the Chapter and Linebreaker Bombardment are both reprints from Space Marines. So there's all your, uh, all the stratagems. I think there's some, I don't see anything that jumps out here like, Blood Angels, like, uh, on Wings of Flame, or... Um, the one that jumped out to me was Howl of the Great Pack. Howl of the Great Pack is, I think, is really good. And I think Wolf's Eye and Keen Senses are really good. Um, Overwhelming Savagery has has room to be really good. And then uh, the fact that they don't have a deep strike, they have an outflank stratagem, I think is really neat. It's very flavorful for them, and I think a good player will be able to use that very effectively. Um, Warlord traits, and this is where we where I said the <laughs> the Warhammer community site is full of uh, unforced errors because on that site they mention that uh, the Warlord traits are sagas, and the sagas are individual abilities, 
but that when you pull off a, a deed of legend, it would turn into an aura ability of some sort. Which, that's a really cool thing, and I'm hoping Warhammer's Communities is correct, so please be correct. Yeah, because that's not what's in the print book. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. We'll, we'll just save this Warlord trait thing and say, um, yeah. look at the space later. We'll talk about this ep- in, in once the errata for this comes out, because otherwise these are pretty stock warlord traits uh yeah, they're, you know. they're, they're stock and generic so that's why i'm hoping that this whole saga plus deed because that's just a really cool concept of hey i'm i'm the warlord i'm gonna do this thing and if i do y'all are like hey he did the thing and y'all get better too right and i yeah i'd like that because that is a cool mechanic it would be something very specific to them it would encourage certain play styles and it feels very space wolfy. Yes. And like you said, it's, it's, it's a unique thing, which I think is a really cool concept. But unfortunately, that is not what we got here. What we got here is a lot of very just basic warlord traits. So yeah, not going to even get into these until such time as we know which of these two is correct. Cause it sounds like they, like they got some wires crossed with what was communicated between like the printer and the web team. So we'll find out. But we can talk about relics. Uh, since we don't have a bunch of sub-chapters and sub-factions and stuff, there's only six relics. We can talk about those real quick. Um, there's the Krakenbone Sword, which is a frost sword that lets you reroll failed wound rolls. And is AP minus four. So It, it cracks bones. It does crack bones. <laughs> there are bones that we crack by this thing. Uh, the Armor of Rus. That's probably the best. Yeah. Four up invuln save. In addition, at the start of the fight phase, choose an enemy unit within an inch of this model. That unit cannot be chosen. So basically, that unit has to be chosen last. So I'm going to fight you, and then uh, you can't interrupt with this unit. You can't. You will. I will. Everybody else goes, and then you go. That is actually really. Again, this is a close combat army that does not want to get necessarily hit back if it. Because it lets you go against those bigger things and know that you're going. And because it's at the start of the fight phase, like even if you get stuck in, you get to do this before they would choose that as like the first thing to go or what have you. Know, like, like if you're an alternating. And most uh, like your wolf lords or HQ types already have a four up end bone because they've got the belt of rest. Yeah. But like your wolf guard battle leaders or you know those, they're still characters they could take the armor of Russ and then get an invone save. Right. Uh, Black Death, this replaces a Frost Axe uh, and is basically a Frost Axe, which is uh, plus two strength, minus two AP, one damage. That's pretty standard. And then each time the rare fights, they can make D3 additional attacks with this weapon. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's awesome. Extra attacks on this army is fantastic. Helm of Durfast, you can reroll failed hit rolls for this model's range attacks. In addition, enemy units never gain any bonus to their saving throws for being in cover against attacks on this warlord. If cover Ooh. was more of a thing, that would be... Yeah, but I could see this being a cool thing. What does it replace? Nothing? It's just like your it's helm? Just an, it's just an add-on. Can't be on a named character. That's the one downside. Uh, but Well, Wolfguard, Terminator, Cyclone Missile Launcher, and your Longfang unit. Put this on him. Uh, he's not a character. Is he not a character? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, then make yeah, one a character and have him stand behind them. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but still, put it on a guy, have him stand with your long fangs, and he's a character. Because if you take the HQ version, not the one that's attached to the unit. Yeah. Yeah, you couldn't put this on, on the one you attached. Otherwise, that would be awesome, but no, it's unfortunately not the case. Yeah, they're not a character inside the unit. No, they are not. I looked that up, too. Uh, the Wolfenstone. 
You can make one additional attack for models in friendly Space Wolves, infantry, biker, and cavalry units. They're within three inches of the bear when they make their attacks in the fight phase. Unit of, units of Wolfen are not affected, nor are units that made a charge within range of the Curse of the Wolfen Hunt ability earlier in the turn. In addition, you can't be affected by both this and the Curse of the Wolfen Kill ability. So basically, let's any character have Curse of the Wolfen Kill, which not bad and if you don't have other wolf if you're running without wolfen this isn't necessarily a bad drop in or even if you are you might just want to spread it you might only have one or two squads of wolfen and this yeah you want a character run with blood claws too yeah there you go and then frost fury this replaces a storm bolter with a hellfrost storm bolter except it does uh you take a mortal wound on a four up instead of a six up. Okay, I lied. That one's awesome too. Yeah. It's also a storm bolter that does two damage per hit, strength four, AP minus one. So it's a better storm bolter. Assault four. Assault four. Yeah. That, these are all good. Now, none of them are like, again, none of these stri- jump out as like, Angel Wing, this is a must take. You will always put this on somebody. But these are all good choices. And depending on what you want to do, I can see cases made for pretty much all of them. I think the weakest one is probably the Helm of Durfast. Probably. Just because it's re-rolling in the shooting phase. Right. And, with, and your characters in this army are not primarily shooters. They're primarily assaulters. And then finally, Tempestus, which is their uh, psychic discipline. Uh, so you've got Living Lightning, which is basically their one of their variations on Smite. Um, you choose the near or targets the closest visible enemy unit within 18 inches. They suffer D3 mortal wounds if the unit is destroyed. And that's where this would be cooler if it was just if you destroyed models. But if you have to, if you destroy the unit, then the closest enemy unit within 18 inches takes D3 wounds. And then it just keeps going until somebody is not destroyed. And, and this is the one that you can use a stratagem with. Right. To get, now that would, like, if you can get D6 mortal wounds, depending on what you're targeting, that could actually be effective. Yeah. But I don't think you're going to see that arcing ability hit all that often. No. It's mostly just going to be there because I want to cast smite, but I don't want to have my difficulty on my other smites go up. Or I've already casted my three smites. Let me cast this for extra damage. Exactly. Although, if you're all targeting the same, like, if you've got your cluster of three rune priests, this might be enough to finish somebody off. Right. <laughs> uh, Tempest Wrath, it has a uh, warp charge value of six. If manifested, select a visible enemy unit within 24 inches. Until the start of your next psychic phase, opponent must subtract one from any hit rolls they make with that unit. Always, that, always a good debuff to throw on somebody. Uh, Murderous Hurricane, warp charge value 5, select a visible enemy unit within 18 inches of the Psyker, roll a die for each model in the unit, the unit suffers a mortal wound on each roll of 6. So that's the horde control that, spell. Yep, that's your horde control. So basically, if expect, you know, you throw that unit at 60, 5 of them, math says 5 of them should die, or at least take wounds. If there's a unit of 60, I'm going to be scared. Or, sorry, unit of 30. <laughs> okay. You know, if there's a unit of 30... A sixth of them should die, is yes. what it meant okay. to say. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, the unit is 60. Well, you're going to roll a lot of dice. <laughs> lots and lots of dice. Uh, Fury of the Wolf Spirits. Uh, warp charge value is 7. If manifested, the Rune Priest gains the f- following weapon until the start of your next psychic phase. Basically, a strength 5, AP minus 3, uh, 1 damage melee weapon. After, that just does extra six extra attacks after you do your normal extra attacks. You summon two spirit ghosts that come and eat your foes. Yes, that's <laughs> actually pretty cool. Especially with six attacks. Six attacks at strength five, AP minus three. Yeah, that's actually really good. 
Uh, store, and again, most of your characters are hitting on twos. And, and this is another thing you want, like you said, you want to be in close combat. Even the Rune Priest wants to be, to be in close, close combat. combat. Yep. Stormcaller, warp charge value of eight. This one's going to be hard to cast, but if manifested until the start of your next psychic phase, you'd psyker and any friendly space will be units within six inches of him gain the benefit of being in cover. Hey, see, we're putting cover in the game. <sighs> <laughs> pass next uh jaws of, next and certainly not last jaws of the world wolf warp charge value of seven if manifested select an enemy unit within 18 inches other than a vehicle roll 2d6 subtract the target's move characteristic the target suffers a number of mortal wounds equal to the result i i like it but i still also remember the day when jaws was draw a line those things die well, as draw line, yeah, well, those things make an initiative test. Right. I like this because there are like characters in Terminator armor are gonna die to this thing because they move five. Right. I mean, but fast moving armies will not because they can get out of the jaws before they appear. Right. But uh, this, I mean, I I like this, and if you. Unfortunately, space wolves don't have any way to do it. If there was a way to stack this with something that reduced movement, you could like. Yeah, the only thing I could think of is just shoot things a lot until they degrade. Uh, there are a couple. <laughs> well, <laughs> although most things that degrade, like monsters, would would be it could be affected. Vehicles can't. Oh, but, true. Yeah. So it's limited utility against certain armies, but th- I think this one. It'll be a good one to have in, in in one's pocket. I think you're going to see a lot of Living Lightning just to have extra damage output. Murderous Hurricane, depending on what you're expecting to face. And, man, Fury of the Wolf Spirits is just really solid. To, I mean, Tempest Wrath, I think the first four of these are actually the best. And then Jaws of the World Wolf is, like, right after it. Yeah, I can agree <laughs> with all those. So, I mean, that's the Codex. I don't think Space Wolves players will be unhappy with it. We have to wait and see on the Warlord traits, obviously. Right. I, I will admit, as we're getting closer, I was starting to see the things leak out. I'm like, uh, this just feels like a Space Marine Codex that they just tacked Wolf onto, and it doesn't feel that special. But as we're digging in and going through, I I mean, I'm not like, oh my gosh, this is the best yeah, thing no, ever. Yeah, no, no, absolutely but not. I'm but like, yeah, I, I can get behind this. Well, it's got, it does have the flavor, it's got the flavor right. And I can see the pieces where it, it's expecting you to play with lots of characters, run those characters forward. They're getting into close combat. You've got the, like, you've got your close combat attack units with like Wolf and Thunderwolves. They're all fast. They move up. Um, and then you've got, you've got scouts coming in from the side. You've got long things yeah, in the, back. There's, there's numerous builds I can already see yeah, with this. The scouts one surprised me, but I'm really pleased about. And I like the fact that there's scout, like, there's multiple ways to get scouts or other units scouting in somehow yeah. and outflanking. That's really cool. This is an army that I think is mostly going to be messing with, like, static gunline armies or armies yeah. that castle in small parts of the field or move too far forward and leave their backs uncovered. I mean, there's this army has a lot of ways to cover that ground, and that's where I think you're going to see the effectiveness in this army if it's played well. And you've just you've got the lion's share of characters to pick from. You you know, pick to taste. Um, is it going? Is, this is not an army that you're going to see somebody get, like splash in a little bit of space wolves. I think you go you go big on space wolves, or or you don't bother. But I think that's as it should be. And you add 250 points of guard as a command point battery, just in case. No. <laughs> Actually, no, I don't think you necessarily do, because, there. again, I'm not seeing a lot of stratagems that are just like, ooh, you must use this and just abuse it as much as possible. Right. And, it, and my take on it is if you really need the extra command points, 
Take Bjorn. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's the other thing. Like, even looking at the uh, what Warlord traits they do have in there, none of them are recycle command points. Of the ones that are currently in here, I will say that this this army has no way to recycle command points. You have what you have, and you're going to use them. But, yeah, I see where the pieces are on this. And I think this is an army that will that will uh, reward aggressive but thoughtful play, it, which is kind of a weird oxymoron. But it's like you have you you will want to play aggressively but you also want to like you're going to be watching your maneuvering and figuring out where you're going to bring things in very carefully and with a lot of characters you're you're going to be positioning things so you're going to maximize your character bubbles you're going to try to figure out the best way to outflank things this this is an army that will reward very smart tactical assault play and that's good. I think it it's going to play Assault in a different way than Blood Angels. And I think that that's good. And I think Space Wolves players will not look at this and be like, well, crap, now I'm, this is useless. It's not quite as amazing on a, like one or two pieces as like Blood Angels are. But the side effect of that is we've gotten Blood Angels that are not played as Blood Angels very much. So I'm good with this. I mean, the the biggest thing I would really want to see is a wolf guard being able to attach to a intercessor squad or just any of the primary squads. Right. And the closest you can have is just like have one kind of following him around, but that doesn't really do quite right. It's not the same thing. No, it's not. So, no, that, but I also understand. That's a primaris thing. Yeah, it's a primaris thing. And I, I totally get that. So, but I, I'm pretty happy with it, all told. It's, and like like I said earlier, a lot of the characters have dropped in, like both in PL a little bit and in points. It's basically somewhere between around twenty points per power level that they've dropped, give or take a bit. So your characters are less expensive, so you can fit in more stuff or more characters, depending. I don't think you'll see a lot of the extra Space Marine stuff that's been put in, added like the Hunter, the Stalker. But it's no. good. But it's good to have the option. Options are always good. I guess so. I, I had to look at those and ask you what they were. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, what's this? Well, heck, you don't see them on the table much okay. for Space Marines either. So I, I'd say my my other negative about about the Codex is I don't have a guy on a sleigh. Well, that's to, just what you you I, don't. I, own. I have to like free do my Bjorn to put the Hellfrost cannon back on. Um, uh, I might need to get some more blood claws, and in essence. I like the book. There's some it's things inspiring that, you. It's yeah. inspiring you to come up with other builds. Well, not other builds, but yeah, I guess other builds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, th- things that you haven't built yet because that wasn't how you were planning on playing Space Force right. originally. So, but that's good. But but the builds that you have now also don't look bad. It's not like they look bad in comparison. It's just that this is like, ooh, but I want to try this, and then I want to. Yeah, try but this. you don't see anyone with like three rhinos on the table anymore. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. It's a very different day. And uh, since we have to, since Dennis, I know you have to finish up soon. I'm gonna let you do hobby progress real quick, and then um, we'll, we'll take on, we'll carry on without you. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, mine is uh, I got together a couple more creature caster models. One I'll use for a demon prince at Iron Halo. Um, so I'm still getting that army put together, and we'll see how it goes. And now with the ITC changes, that changes up how that you're changes that pound building. So I won't have to borrow from you. Hopefully, maybe we'll see. We'll see. Um, and then I started since all the space will, I picked up the kill team, um, box of space wolves. And so I was like, oh, I got to put these together. Then I looked, oh yeah, I still have all my Primaris death watch I need to put together. So I started putting some of them together and we had a listener asked about like putting the, 
Death Watch shoulder pads on the um, Dark Imperium box guys. And, I'm, and we said, yeah, you just have to trim off all those shoulders and put them that way. And that's what I've been doing. And I forgot how much of a pain that is. <laughs> it is. Because, I mean, I would have the entire box together and easily in a night. But no, I have to, like, chip away at the shoulder. Okay, nope, that's not the right fit. Trim a little more off tr- until I can actually glue the shoulder pad onto where it looks like it was there naturally. I'll just move on to you, Rich, and we'll kind of redo the rotation. Yeah, uh, I've been putting together some some more Iron Jaws for Age of Sigmar. And aside from that, I've been trying to put together the last of some of the Grey Knight Terminators that I've that I'd picked up and a long time ago and never put together to flesh out like the last weapon option choices that I decided to go with. I have been working on trying to get one, if not two, Townar put together in time for Siege World, which is next week. So how I'm going to edit this episode and work on those, I have not yet figured out. But Go for the Townar. <laughs> I'll, I'll figure out. I'll, I'll get this worked out. I'll at least get one of them built, which will be Kevin's, um, which... I'm going to say after having Kevin, after having worked on uh, your your recast Town R, and my advice to people is if you have the choice to buy a recast online or to buy something directly from Forge World, uh, pay full price. Pay, pay full price or better yet have kevin pay full price because that's an even better option yeah there's that too because uh oh my god the miscasts are bad and and comparing it to the comparable uh actual forge world parts um forge world parts masfina uh they are i highly recommend going with the the forge world resin because Forge World's new, especially their newer casts, are way better quality. I mean, there you'll still get the occasional bubble and gap, but nothing like some of the sh- the the mold shifting and stuff that I've seen on on this one. So, but I did manage to get it together and fully magnetized, so I'll at least have one put together. I'll see how painted I can get it, but it it will at least have paint on it. It won't be bare resin. But I'm also I'm currently working on building the second one as well, so we'll see how much progress I can make on that tonight and see. Because if I can get both of them knocked out, I can probably get them primed tomorrow and then like get some base paint on them Tuesday, Wednesday. So and I think I can make some progress. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm in full on Forge World building right now. So it's been intense. It's been a, a good learning experience. But I'm I'm learning more about magnetizing and pinning and stuff like that. So. I think once I've got two of these under my belt, I'll feel pretty comfortable about building a third one one day. Um, no, I'm not going to build a third one, but I'll feel better about building other Forge World models. Awesome. But- so I went to Gen Con uh, and spent a bunch of money at Forge World. That was my biggest con- uh, hobby contribution. Uh, Gen Con was a lot of fun. I actually got to play um, Wrath and Glory uh, in a demo. I can go into a little bit more on another another episode. I have the book, but I haven't really read through everything in it yet as far as character development and uh, character creation, campaign, stuff like that. So, But the, the game was really fun. If you're into uh, 40K role-playing games, it'll it'll definitely be a good game, I think, uh, that people will, will hopefully play a lot of. Yeah, and it, the fact that it's it's actually supports having like the different types of Imperium units and also some non-Imperium kind of unified in the same rule set is a way different approach than like the older Fantasy Flight games where every type kind of had its own slightly similar but still not quite compatible rule set. Yeah, um, I think it definitely it to put it kind of in D and D terms, each 
different type of character like guardsmen, space marine, sisters of battle, etc., kind of fill a different role within the squad. So you need uh you know a, a rune priest or some uh, not a rune priest uh tech priest to be able to like open doors and make you know knowledge tests uh about certain certain things. You need uh you know guardsmen a guard captain will be better at melee than a generic space marine whereas like your space marine can get up there and really tank and do provide some long range shooting. So again that I haven't really gotten into the character building part of it yet, but uh, it, it seems like it's going to be a fun game and it seems like it's definitely going to do everything that it purports, you know, with being able to support multiple, multiple types of gameplay uh, within the same squad. Well, that's cool. Yeah. We'll definitely have to talk about that. I know the, uh, the digital book is out for wider release. I don't know when stores like non gen con is getting mm-hmm. there, getting print copies, but I'm definitely going to be trying to snag one when it comes out. All right. Well, I think that just wraps us up for episode 179. Um, who knows? Episode 180. We'll have pr- who knows what else is coming down the pipe at the relate. Right, they've been releasing stuff. But yeah. uh, so we'll see you in a couple of weeks. I'll be reporting back from uh, Siege World, and maybe if you're lucky, you can stop by the Citadel on your way back home. Uh, I do want to stop by. I won't be there for opening weekend, but I'll see if I can actually just stop by and see what it's about and maybe take a picture or two if they you haven't seen the pictures online yeah because they've already posted some about the store but it'll still be kind of cool i'm i will I, i'm curious to see if you get a chance to see it in person and oh yeah i definitely want to see it in person yep mm-hmm. all right so we will catch you all in a couple of weeks so from all of us here at preferred enemies i'm rob kevin dennis and richard good night good gaming and i think the the space vikings will be very happy this time <laughs> Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2 No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.